Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. Three hours of fun and excitement. Doing what we can on this program to help you through this crazy thing we call life. And you know what? Today's going to be a good show, I must say. Hey, you know what? Uh, What if I told you that that crazy little cold sore virus of yours could cure cancer? Well, a version of it. Yes. Way to be technical. It would have to be genetically modified, but yeah, possibly. Way to complicate it. Let's just keep it simple, Terry. Cold virus. Flink. Stick it in your cancer. Bonk. Gone. Sound effects brought to you by The Matt Townsend Show. If it doesn't kill you, the cold virus, it'll cure cancer. There's a lot of things that are curing cancer in various, you know. Well. You're you're getting all technical. I'm not getting technical. You're getting technical. I think you're overselling. No, it's not. You go get. There are a couple instances. No. It's not a lot. It's maybe a few. (laughs) No, you're. (laughs) See, this is the cynic in you. You go grab somebody off of BYU campus that has like a cold sore. You have them rub that cold sore. Mm. On some other dude with a melanoma, booyah. Mm, probably not. Cancer cure. Maybe you want to talk to our next guest coming up in a few minutes here. You mean a cancer researcher? Uh, yeah. Check with him before you start yeah. rubbing cold sores. You know what people. I'm going to do, by the way? I'm going to start – I'm going to make a lip balm. Oh, no. For people with cold sore herpes virus. Okay. And then they use it and then others with melanomas. No. James is giving me the gross face. That's not going to work. Hey, here's the deal. So we'll get to that. We're going to be talking about a cure for melanomas, possibly. Now, we don't want to blow it out of proportion, but it's pretty amazing. And what's the cure is a genetically modified, blah, blah, if you're going to be all technical, version of the herpes cold virus. Well, herpes and the cold virus. Combination. Yeah, they're not the same thing. Well. (laughs) The herpes cold virus is not a thing. Again, being technical. Well, again, as one that doesn't have herpes, you're Understood. probably you're way ahead of me on that one. But I just don't want people misunderstanding what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, because yeah. they would. Yeah. So here's the deal. Uh, I've been eating really healthy for about three weeks, and in all the healthy eating, I've tried not to consume much fat. Mm. And then last night, we brought home pizza, and I done consumed a lot of it. It's good, right? Yeah. But while you're eating it, yeah. it you feel uh, like you're making a good decision. There's nothing. This in, is going to benefit me. Heaven, heaven <laughs> is that first bite of a piece of pizza, right? That's heaven, and a good pizza, right? So I overindulged, and I have, I guess, what's called Little Caesars poisoning, pizza poisoning. But it's not like, yeah, I didn't like catch. Well, it's the carbs, the bread, no. the, the grease. It's, it's all wonderful, but uh, at the same time, don't talk about it. If you're not calibrated correctly, don't be specific. See, now you're being specific. The specifics you bring to the show yeah. make my stomach churn right now. Yeah, all that that cheese, ah. just a lot of cheese with the pepperoni on it. Those anchovies. Oh, we didn't do that. That's Those are gross. good. No, anchovies are good. 
Okay, Grandpa. And you can see like that grease That's on the gross. top of the piece of yeah. pizza. You may want to maybe dab some of that off next time. If yeah. I go down, um, one of you is going to have to carry the show. Done. Okay. Or we'll just prop you up in a chair and have you continue. I don't think I'll be in this room. I don't think pizza poisoning <laughs> is a thing. But. It is. Oh, my heavens. Who's the doctor in the room? I am, actually. And uh, it's Doctor not a thing. of passion. You yeah. are the doctor of passion. I am the yes. doctor of real things. <laughs> All I, things human. Hey, your microphone's working. Yes. No shower for me today. Well, you showered for three hours yesterday. Yeah, I figured that I'm probably good for a week. That was fun. <laughs> I like it when things break and we can make fun of them. Um, so, by the way, today, got to do a little shout out. My daughter and son-in-law are graduating from Brigham Young University. Thank you. It's a miracle. Do mm. you have a miracle tune? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yep, that's it. Graduation. They're graduating. It's going to be a big day. I am a father of a graduate, almost. It's huge. You got a three-year-old. Yeah. I got a 22-year-old. Done with school. One down. Never have to deal with her again. I have a three-year-old who can tell the difference between the DVR and Netflix. (laughs) That was a big moment yesterday. Was it? Yeah. It sounds... I turn on Netflix. He goes, no, not that one. (laughs) Oh, hey. (laughs) It sounds like he's... He needs, you know, to be learning more things. Maybe running around outside a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Get, we'll get work that on it. boy outside. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, um, you know, just know that when you see me today that I'm a proud father. Do you get and to go to commencement? Yes, tonight. Well, oh, like yeah. five hours of it? Is it five hours? Because here's the know, deal. Feels like I've it. actually had – I have a speech that I've got to run and go do and then I'm going to leave the speech and then run back. So I get to drive back and forth and – then I get here, and I think I'll get here almost when it's over. And then we'll take pictures, and I'll look like I was here, but I'll listen to it because it's going to probably be on Sirius XM, I'm assuming. And then pictures, then dinner. Then my kids go on a trip. But hmm. tomorrow they're not even walking. They're supposed to walk in their whatever, their school's the actual graduation part of it. About. Yeah, I didn't go to that. Yeah, they're not going either. They're on, a way, they're on their way to Europe Nice for a month. How would that be? That'd be perfect. Considering I've got pizza poisoning. They're going to Paris. Yeah, I would take Paris any day. What if I died? Can you die of pizza poisoning? You nope. can die of anything too much. Mike says you can. Mike you says eat you can. too much of one thing, probably. It's probably bad for Especially you. Especially the herpes cold virus. Could be. If that was such a thing, absolutely. Yep. Want to wish you a happy Shakespeare Day? It's his his birthday. Et tu brute? Born April 23rd, 1564. So to celebrate, some organization has set up a day where you're supposed to talk like Shakespeare all day. Please don't. James. Yes. Why doeth thou the board that way? I doeth it this way because it is the right way. Oh, Matthew, bring your friends hither. I love the word hither. So there's that. That's a word we've lost. We don't use hither. Like we need we to resurrect it. hither. Mm. Let's try to use it more today. We need to check in on a couple stories. Okay, you got some news for us. <laughs> a there, ju- there's a there's a, okay. We're going to see if you hit it. I'm going to see if you a hit judge it. okayed a one billion dollar NFL settlement on concussions. Really? The uh, well, it's one billion over sixty five years. But it's going to be pretty much the entire NFL. 
About 6,000 of the league's nearly 20,000 retired players could someday develop Alzheimer's or moderate dementia. And so there's an average individual award will be about $190,000. Awards could reach a million to five million for those diagnosed in their 30s and 40s with Parkinson's or Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, So, yeah. And some people feel they're getting off easy because the annual revenues for the NFL is $10 billion. Yeah. So why aren't they spending more to help out the people who help them make the money? It's kind of the argument. It's a so, great point. It's a great point. And the new research – so this research, this has got to be based on all this research that be serious yes. about head injuries and football. The Senate passed the uh, trafficking bill that was being held up because there was an the abortion, abortion provision that the Democrats – So they finally passed it? If you remember it? back to the beginning of all this, the Democrats didn't even read the legislation when mm-hmm. it came up to vote and went, hold on a second. What, what? is this? And the, the Republicans are like, it's been in there for months. What do you want? <laughs> Why don't you do your job did they and read? Keep, did they keep that clause in there? Yeah, basically. They, 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 they came down on either side, let it go because it was holding up. Yeah, get that the, uh, bill taken care of so we quit trafficking people. L- well, Loretta Lynch, who's the new attorney general, get, her appointment was being held up by this bill, yeah, which it, is kind of the other real did story. Did they vote right? on her yet? No, but they voted on the bill. Guess how it passed? 51 to 50. 99 to nothing. Oh, man. So they're holding up this bill. Everyone's in agreement, but they held it up because of this one Interesting. point. But it was also because of the the attorney general. They held that to try to get the uh, yeah. Republicans or the the Democrats to back off on their objections. So now so. Lynch will go through. That'll so be ninety nine to through. zero. No, they they think there there'll be uh, people on either side, but yeah. she should have enough votes to to get in. So they Getting can work done. move on beyond that. So cool. Uh, the Clinton Foundation. Yeah. Lots of uh, focus on them because of Hillary Clinton and if this is a problem. Apparently, they've had some tax issues. Oh. She uh, reports that the Clinton Family Foundation will be refiling taxes and undergoing an audit after an investigation by the uh, news service found that they may have improperly reported foreign donations, among other issues. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. So that's something that's going to be following her around the presidential Campaign as we go forward here. You know what we need? We need more gates. We need more gates. Investigates, whatever we call them. We need more of them. Actually, we don't. Folks, we're going to take a break. Here's the deal. Got a great guest coming up. Um, Dr. Robert Ann Back is going to be joining us. He is a researcher at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. And uh, they have a breakthrough going on that um, may actually uh, be the beginning of a cure in certain cases of melanoma and you won't believe where it's coming from the herpes virus believe it or not a modified version of course as terry taught us but we're going to be talking with associate professor dr robert ann Baca and one of the lead uh, surger, surgical uh, oncologists at the huntsman cancer center this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back talking about cancer right here on byu radio Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that the American Cancer Society estimates that nearly 74,000 Americans will be diagnosed with a new melanoma this year? The skin cancer kills nearly 10,000 people every year. It's one of the deadliest uh, skin cancers around. And when we think about it, folks, 
you know, this has been going on for years. You all know somebody that's had to go in and have, you know, a, a skin cancer taken off, uh, cut out of, off their skin. And when we think about it, too, with our skin being one of our largest organs, it's a big, big deal, right? So we, we heard um, in some local uh, news recently that uh, there's some interesting research going on at the Huntsman Cancer Institute that may uh, actually be close to finding a cure in, um, in this type of cancer. And believe it or not, it's in injecting the, uh, the herpes virus. Or some moderate, you know, some form of it, um, and, and they're having some pretty incredible results. Joining us today is Dr. Robert Onbaka is joining us, and he is an associate professor in the Division of Surgical Oncology and the Department of Surgery at the University of Utah Medical School. He's also a surgeon and investigator with Intermountain Healthcare Cancer Institute. Dr. Onbaka, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much, Matt. Happy to be here. Honored to have you and uh, so excited about some of the breakthroughs you're having. Talk to us about your research with melanomas. Oh, absolutely. So, Matt, uh, I think first and foremost, I want to say that this is not a one-person research. There's a whole team behind this, and um, the Huntsman Cancer Institute um, is uh, one of the centers around really the world who's doing this research. Hmm. Now, the Huntsman itself, as you know, is an NCI-designated a cancer center, and we have achieved comprehensive cancer status, which is the highest status for a cancer research center. And with that really comes um, looking at new innovative technology that we can use to help our patients. And I think it's, uh, it's quite different from many of the community cancer centers uh, around Utah. And I think we all serve a purpose, and uh, we all have important uh, missions to treat our cancer patients. Now, specifically at the Huntsman, we have a very large focus on melanoma, and we, if we go back, Matt, about seven to eight years ago, we really had no treatment that worked well for melanoma if you had melanoma that came back. Now, that has all changed. And uh, today I have a tremendous amount of hope for my patients. And um, specifically um, what we have been doing recently, Matt, is that we've been uh, looking at the viruses and how we can use viruses to really activate the patient's own immune system to fight their cancer. Now, melanoma is one of the cancers that is really good at evading the immune system. So if you have melanomas, uh, the melanoma produces a lot of proteins that are cancer proteins. And for most or many other cancers, the immune system is really good at saying this should not be here. Hmm. This is a protein, this is a cancer protein that should not be here. Melanoma is one of the cancers that is really good at protecting the immune system from recognizing these proteins. So... What we've uh, sort of uh, determined is that we need to find mechanisms then to un, um, unravel these so that the immune system can recognize these proteins as not being normal proteins. Will, will the immune system naturally just kill the, the cancer and the protein um, if, if it could recognize it then? Is that its initial goal? It does. And, and I think that one thing that uh, we know that in, in the most people on a daily basis as new cells are being produced, uh, to produce a new cell, you need to replicate the DNA, and there's a very complex process to do this. Well, just like um, in life in general for all of us, you know, we make mistakes, and the same thing in the replication methods of this, um, of how you produce a new cell, uh, there are mistakes being made. Now, our immune system then is very good at 
sort of having a surveillance over this and saying that, you know, this uh, cell that is being produced is not a normal cell. And the immune system has a tremendous ability then to go and kill that cell so hmm. that that cell does not become a cancer cell. And this happens every day in all of us. Now, sometimes, though, the, uh, the cancer cells or the, the cells, the abnormal cells, develop an ability then for the immune system not to detect this. And melanoma is particularly good at doing this. So, so you, you really needed some virus. I guess you're using a virus to go in then and, and almost uh, find, this, find the cell. And, and it's a it's – a, it's a, um, what's the word? You've chemically modified a virus to go in, find it, and then when it starts to attack the, the protein in the cancer cell, it almost, I guess that wakes up the rest of the immune system exactly. to, to attack it. Exactly. But you're using herpes or cold, and also cold viruses. We are. So there are many different types of viruses that have been used for this. And historically, if we look at this, so even, and this has been going, for, going on for over 100 years. We know that 100 years ago, um, when um, people, if they had a cancer and then they had an, got an infection, either a cold infection or other infection, sometimes the cancer would actually get smaller in size. And, oh, really? And, um, so this is now something that over 100 years um, uh, researchers have looked at. And, and really with the advent of recombinant DNA technology, our ability to change the genetic material of these virus, have we now been able to really to, to change these viruses so that, um, for instance, the herpes virus that we use. Now we're all concerned about herpes causing herpes. And, um, but the virus that we use actually has been changed. It's been modified so that it doesn't cause herpes. But what's very fascinating about it is that, that these viruses, when they get into normal cells, they usually bring in all the DNA for them to replicate, to produce new virus particles. But what we've done for this virus, we've actually taken out some of these genetic material in the virus so that it cannot replicate in normal cells. But hmm. what's interesting also is that cancer cells then produce a certain proteins that helps this virus replicate so that it can only really replicate in cancer cells. And what happens then is that we inject this virus directly into the tumor, and it gets into the cancer cell, it replicates in cancer cells, so it produces new virus particles, and this leads then to the cancer cell bursting open, or that the, the virus sort of kills the cell and bursts the, the cancer cell oh, open. That's amazing. And then, and then what happens is that these cancer proteins that were inside the cell are now exposed to the immune system. Now, the immune system then comes in and says, wow, I can now see these proteins, and these should not be here. And the immune system then mounts an attack on those proteins. Now, with the virus, we sort of said, well, that works pretty well, but let's see if we can even augment the effect, if we can make the, uh, the response of the immune system even more robust so the virus actually produces a protein called GMCSF. Now, GMCSF is an activator of the immune system. So in addition to killing the cells, it also produces this GMCSF hmm. that then leads to the activation of the immune system. Now, it's nice to have this mat where we inject this, but ultimately what we'd like to do is we would like to develop a memory in the immune system, very similar to when you have a vaccination that, mm -hmm. that if... Uh, so to teach the immune system that if you ever see these proteins elsewhere, you need to go and fight those, um, those proteins and those cells. And that's what that's we've been amazing. able to, to show through this research, that 
that this virus can do. So right now, now, now you, you, you actually then apply it, you stick uh, the, the virus into a melanoma uh, 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 cancer site on the skin, inject Correct. it in, it then starts to attack, but you're trying to train it to go all throughout the body and, and um, attack anywhere it sees those cells. Exactly, exactly. Is this, when you think of this, uh, I mean, you've been at this how many years, Dr. Antbaka? So we've been doing these studies at the Huntsman here for, for almost 10 years now. It's, uh, it's been about eight years, but this technology, kind of the latest um, rendition of this technology, that has been developed over the past uh, 15 years mm. or so. That's amazing. Well, let's do this. I want to take a break, but I want to come back and find out about what you're seeing. What does the research show? How successful is this being? Also, what does the future look like? If we can do this with melanomas, are there other areas that you're seeing at the Huntsman Cancer Center that they're starting to to investigate other uses? Um, Anyway, fantastic stuff. Dr. Robert Antbach is joining us, uh, a researcher and oncologist and uh, on the cutting edge of possible cures for some uh, forms here, apparently, of melanoma. By the way, using viruses to attack cancer. Powerful. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Doesn't kill you, makes you Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about, uh, man, major advancements in the cancer research uh, from Huntsman Cancer Institute. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Robert Antbaka. He is a, uh, a cancer specialist there. He's, a, he's a, an associate professor in the Division of Surgical Oncology. He also specializes in surgery for melanoma, soft tissue sarcomas, and is a member of the Experimental Therapeutics Program. He also makes it a, a point to make sure that everybody understands they make a team effort at the Huntsman Cancer Institute where he works. And um, But together they've they found some pretty intriguing ways to combat melanomas, which is, I guess, one of the deadliest forms of cancer. Is that right, Dr. Antbaka? It is uh, melanoma traditionally, if a melanoma comes back or patients uh, develop a melanoma that has gone to other parts of the body, it's been very challenging to treat melanoma. But uh, really, in the past um, 10 years or, or less than 10 years, we've really been able to change much of this. And, and now we have a lot of hope for our patients mm. who have melanoma that come back. With your, with your new research using viruses and um, to kind of, uh, I guess, be the carrier and, and go open up cancer so that the our immune system can attack it. What, what are the survival rates? What's the, what are the success rates you're seeing? So when we, so as, as we talked about mass, we have many different viruses that we use, and uh, some of these are the herpes virus, others are Coxsackie virus, and, which is sort of a cold virus. And uh, the successes are, are quite good. In the lesions that we inject, we see responses in those lesions over 60% of the mm. time. But also we want to see responses in the lesions that we don't inject, basically to sort of show that the immune system can be educated. Um, And we see those responses in up to uh, 35% of those uninjected lesions. Uh, Now you may say, well, 35% does not sound very good. We have to remember that for melanoma, the responses uh, that we've had uh, about uh, 
10 years ago were in the single digits. Oh, wow. So this is a tremendous advance. But we can do better than this. And that's why so we're saying uh, we really find that, that sort of doing these viruses by themselves in some patients, it works very well. But ultimately, I think that we need to do better. We need to activate the immune system more actively than we can do with one agent, and which is very common in oncology that we combine different treatments. Mm. Now, so Matt, the way I explain this to my patients is to say that really sort of activating your immune system is like driving your car. Uh, to make the car go faster, you can do two things. You can press on the gas pedal, yeah. or if you forgot your handbrake on, take the handbrake off. So these uh, viruses, what they do, they press on the gas pedal. But we also have other treatments, specifically called checkpoint inhibitors, and these are sort of the handbrakes of the immune system. And um, one of them is called CTLA-4, and another one is called PD-1. And so now what we're doing, Matt, is we're saying that, well, can we also use then different antibodies that helps us take that ah. handbrake off and combine these and, uh, and then get a more robust activation of the immune system? So that's really the next step that we're doing right now. And, and with that, um, whenever we combine two different treatments in oncology, we want to make sure that we don't have more side effects than we would expect sure. to see with each one alone. And the nice thing about these viruses is that they have very few side effects. It's only a little bit of discomfort at the injection site, maybe a bit of shakes and chills after wow. we inject the same as when you get a, a vaccination. And uh, so when we've combined these then with these other, these uh, handbrakes of the immune system, these checkpoint inhibitors, we've found that really there's no added um, toxicity or no more adverse events for the patient um, compared to what we would see with the uh, the checkpoint inhibitors by themselves. What great news um, when you think about, I mean, some of the more common techniques of like uh, chemotherapy, radiation, other other treatments that are, we all hear about that are so toxic. I mean, we're worried about an injection site. And um, it's, it's so interesting. But 60% of those, uh, you see a 60%, I guess, improvement, healing of, of those that are injected, but 35% of those that, uh, that are spread throughout. So that's really the spreading of cancer. That's really what you want to make sure is that the melanomas aren't spreading. So you're trying to go get more attacking those that aren't necessarily located in a site yet. Exactly. Exactly. And turning off uh, the break. But you, what's really amazing too is you're throttling. You're really, it's like you're, you're, you're learning how to maneuver the body to actually attack cancer and, and uh, I guess, prevent cancer. Exactly. And then this is um, very much like driving your car is that sometimes you have to press on the, the gas mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to brake. I think that's what we're trying to learn right now is that how do we sort of, um, how do we help the immune system to do this in the right way? And uh, this is very new, Matt. Is that something that we haven't done um, until the past uh, 10 years or so. Um, and it's really changing the way the treatment is for not only melanoma, but many other cancers, uh, because we recognize that, that the body's own immune system and its ability to fight the cancer is probably one of the strongest mechanisms that we have to help uh, get rid of cancers. Yeah. And, um, and this is what we're now trying to, to learn and understand better. Do you sense, um, what, do you, what do you sense as kind of in the whole kind of cancer research area. I'm assuming what you guys are doing over here in melanoma would impact or, or be beneficial to a variety of other cancers as well. Absolutely. So melanoma, traditionally melanoma was the um, 
what I call the red-haired stepchild uh, of <laughs> <Listen>. cancer, <laughs> and that no one wanted to do melanoma because we had nothing that worked. Well, that changed, uh, as, I say, as we talked about in the past eight to ten years, and melanoma really has now become in the forefront, sort of a, a that shows how we can really change something 180 degrees and really use the immune system. Hmm. So what happens in melanoma right now is being taken to other cancers. So for instance, lung cancer, breast cancer, um, even colon cancer and bladder cancer. And all of these sort of uh, discoveries and these uh, forward movement in melanoma is now being used in all of those other cancers and teaches um, the other um, types of cancers how to how to sort of try to use the immune system. So it's been, That's it's amazing. been very, very fascinating over the past few years to be in melanoma research. Well, and Dr. Antbaka, what as somebody that's been in it for many years, what's it like to, to finally have something that brings this much hope to your patients and to be able to, to tell them those numbers? I mean, I guess it's always up to each body is going to be different, but it's got to be just a sense of relief to have more. Oh, it, it's, a, it's a tremendous change. It, it really is. And, and now uh, with my patients, uh, I say we have more hope than we've ever had. Mm. And, um, you know, we, patients always ask, well, am I cured? And I think that with any cancer, it's really tough to, to use the word cured because it all, uh, it's sort of cancers are very good at evading um, yeah. w- what we do to them. But I think that for melanoma, I don't use the word cure. But what I say is that we have now have patients that have a lot of melanoma that we can help them uh, get rid of. And we can also have patients then who go for long periods of times without evidence of the melanoma coming back. Interesting. um, To use the word cure, I think that we need to study this a lot more and we need to understand this better. But we have patients now who live longer than we've ever seen, and uh, we have more and more of those patients. And it's, it's, this is a cancer of the skin, right? So this is, this is the one that any of us that have been outside, been sunburned over our years or time, I mean, this is one that could so easily hit everybody. Absolutely, and I, I think that it's also, I think many times for our patients as well, they, they sort of say, well, this just started out as a small mole on my skin, and how come that this then has spread all over the body? And I think it, it can be quite, um, quite difficult for patients to sort of to, uh, accept that, that you know, something that was that small can spread all over the body. But mm. this, is, uh, this is a, melanoma has a tremendous ability to do this, and this is why I think some protection, especially as we're getting into uh, spring and summer, Sun protection is absolutely essential to to decrease the amount of UV damage that we get to the skin um, and, and try to decrease the risk of melan- of developing melanoma. Yeah, wear shirts if you or wear cover ups, wear sunscreen, and and check moles. Right. Um, talk uh, before we we let you go. I wanted to ask you what what does the future look like? Um, it seems like. You can now genetically modify viruses. That's a big deal. That's now known where you can infect someone with a virus and they won't get the virus, but it'll still have the effects that you need to find and, and to chase down the cancer and ignite the, um, your, your natural immune system. But it also seems like you could even start customizing genetically for each patient could get their own genetic you know, tool to fight one by one that's based on me. Is there a future of that? Yes, we, we're definitely we're looking at 
in in all other patients to to participate in this research. And I think it's important for me as a physician to say that none of this would be possible without my patients. They are really, and our patients here at the Huntsman Cancer Institute, without them participating in this clinical research and this clinical trials, we would not be able to make these discoveries and move this field forward. And what we're doing as part of that, we're now trying to understand how do we combine these different uh, sort of the accelerators and the brakes of the immune system and what sequence do we put them in, but also on an individual patient basis, trying to understand what is their immune profile, um, what is their immune cells, what are they doing, and try to understand, the, depending on, on how the patient's own immune system works, can we then change these treatments, can we tweak these treatments then to be more effective on each individual patient hmm. basis, and that's really... That's our next step. One of the next goals that we have is to have a better understanding for this and really try to then um, ultimately try to customize this, as you said, for each individual patient, that if you have a certain immune profile, to then say, well, based on our understanding of your profile, these may be the best treatments that we can have for you to try to fight your cancer. Because I guess it is really a misnomer when people say, we need a cure for cancer, but there's, there's many cancers and many complexities to every cancer and many things we need to throttle and many things we need to break. I mean, so it's really the cure, the cure, there's not a cure. There's, there's just iterations. I, I think that exactly there, you know, there's, uh, you know, cancers are, are like cars. They come in all sizes and shapes and we all call them cars, but they're all very different yeah. thing with this. And I think that, and, and even within melanoma, each person's melanoma is quite different from another person's melanoma. And I think that that's what we really need to try to understand on an individual patient basis. How do we then find the best treatment uh, for a specific patient's melanoma and how do we help them with that? I love, too, that you're also – it's one thing to just you know fix the existing melanoma, but also – to try to the know, to know that you have this paradigm where you're going to go try to chase down the the cancer genes in the body that uh, that haven't even really taken root yet. That's also powerful. Yeah. Um, well, Doctor Aunt Baca, we appreciate you, and we are so grateful for the work you're doing. And you know, none of us know when we'll we'll need you, but uh, if we do, you're at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. Thank you for your time, and keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Matt, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you on your show. You bet. Thank you. And um, great stuff, folks. When you think about it, we we always hear, you know, check the ABCs about your moles and all of that. But you know what? It's serious, folks. It leads to melanoma. And you know what else is just cool? There's breakthroughs happening every single day at at, uh, cancer centers like Huntsman Cancer Institute, but also just... Think of that. You've got somebody in your life uh, who can maybe be there longer, stay healthier, combat some of these issues. Man, what a blessing. Good time to live, folks. Remember, the goal of the show is to help you find the good in the world, and I think we just found some when it comes to cancer. We'll take a break when we come back. Continue this discussion a little bit more, plus do a few more of the headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it interesting uh, that a virus, a cold virus, something that we all hate, 
can actually be used to go in and irritate the crud out of cancer, so much so the immune system will kill it or beat it up a little bit. Uh, there was another story that we found here about cancer patients that uh, at Duke University, they're using polio viruses, probably in a very similar way that we, we heard about earlier, I'm sure with much more complexity. But they're using polio virus to um, basically help uh, to cure um, brain tumors, geoblastomas. Now, in, a, it, in a similar way that they're doing at yeah. the University of Utah that we just heard about with melanoma and the cold and herpes virus, they, they alter it at Duke University. They alter the polio virus and inject it into the brain tumor. Man. And they found that over time, the same sort of reaction happens that the immune system wakes up and attacks the cancer and the virus. That's pretty cool. And they didn't have the same kind of success rates yet, but no. it's just starting. So, but two people's lives were saved. They had a brain tumor, geoblastoma, should be dead. One of them was a 20-year-old. Yes. And, and she's, and she's, they, they show, and they, the yeah, TV interview I saw, she's fine. She's, she comes back to the unit to talk to people. The user is kind of a, a coach to the people going through this process and show possibly what the, what the end result could be. And remember in the 50s, this was the disease that was killing kids, paralyzing many. President Roosevelt had it, didn't he? So, Huge viruses. Who'd, who'd have thunk? Well, how do you trip across? I know. Let's put polio virus in yeah. their brain. That Isn't makes that sense, you know. But but I, you know, it. that's it. They use the they use the strength of a virus to track down the cancer, and it. I guess it doesn't even fight it. It just opens it up, makes it apparent to the body, and the body attacks it like crazy. Yeah. Whereas uh, cool. I think one of the questions that have constantly been researched for however long they've been researching this, why doesn't the body attack the cancer? Yeah. He the the body of, doesn't do that, no. but the virus it'll go after. It doesn't see it necessarily as a threat. I guess it just sees it as a living cell that seems to be working Yeah. until the virus says, no, I want a piece of that. And the, what's funny, they, it's like you sick, they sick the dog on it. So they yeah. get the virus all stirred up and then they genetically modify it to go attack that protein-based cancer. Oh, that thing doesn't have a shot. Isn't that fun? I mean, a virus. You're yeah. using your enemy to kill your enemy. It's like the enemy geo- of my enemy is my friend, politics. right? Yeah, it's it like is. world politics. It's how we're teaming up with Iran <laughs> in some situations in the Middle East right Iran, now. Iran, so. can you go get uh, ISIS for us? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we're, really we're is. so is Iran the virus or is Iran? Well, it depends the on your point of view because yeah. we're the cancer yeah. on one side of that, and yeah. it's kind of interesting. like I guess right now, so great going after I- ISIS. We're using what in Iraq we're using uh, what Iran's on the ground and we're doing the airstrikes mm-hmm. and the Kurdish rebels are coordinating. So that's how that's working. You know, it's we're not really talking great. to each other, but the Kurds they're taking care of it for us. See that we just made a we just created a metaphor, a cancer metaphor. There you go. In a cancer show, someone's going to poke holes in it, but that's fine. I'm sure, I'm sure it made is. sense in the moment. But you know, if you're going to inject the site with, you can poke all the holes you need to in it because we're just fixing it that's the goal cool any other uh news that we need to be dealing yeah. with you ever heard of a fatberg i had one last night it was pizzaberg <laughs> same kind of concept what what in london uh-huh. they have this problem people keep dumping cooking oil and as they call it un- other unflushable items into the sewers uh... and their sewers are really old they have old sewers. With so they're a lot not of... they're not big. So they don't allow large things to. They found an eleven ton fatberg in the sewers, 
and it's congealed fat and unflushable items combined into the uh, solid mass. Uh, the latest monster was 131 feet long. Wow. <laughs> it damaged the sewers, so now they're spending all this money to fix it. It, uh, yeah. Uh, it is really bad. And you can imagine it probably looks horrible. People in this very, like, upscale area of London were talking about the smell. It just wouldn't smell. go away. <laughs> this is on, we're celebrating Shakespeare Day. Yes. So go ahead and Shakespeare that. But um, New- Stratford-upon-Avalon. And this doesn't just happen in London. It happens in New York. They spend millions of dollars a year because people dump cooking oil so down their drink. So you have big, huge, like an iceberg, but it's a fatberg. Fat and it blocks the sewer. You know, it, it, it could bring down a ship. It's horrible. There are people that are paid to go down into the sewer with shovels and just scrape all this stuff off so you okay, don't – Okay, John. We're going to need you to go down in the sewer today to there's, get that burg out there's of there. A, there's a TV show that's not on anymore, but it's called uh, Dirty Jobs. Oh, yeah. I love that. And the guy, the host, went into the New York sewers and they were doing this. It is so gross. You know – It's just – it's like it's like your arteries and you're trying to rotor-rooter them or something. Yeah, it's just see, really again, bad. It's, a, it's another health – image right there another health me- metaphor that's not the biggest blockage though the biggest one on record was in 2013 they found a 15 ton fatberg now there are people that are trying to use this material oh sure and you try could, to burn it because yeah it's, burn it's, it it's oil it's cooking it's oil fuel try to pull fuel out of it hey, so are, that, you, are you guys going to use your berg because if you're not going to use your berg i'd like to i call dibs on your home berg. and drive my car you got a 15 ton berg you, <laughs> you want so i found that really crazy disturbing to read about yeah, thanks for sharing that. And this, you, had, you had the choice to share anything you wanted Any to story, share. and I went with that one. You I thought that one would Fatberg. be benefit us the most. Also, an anonymous buyer spent just over $22 million yesterday for a 100-carat diamond that the auction house likens to the definition of perfection. Mm. So anonymous buyer. Bought a 100? A 100-carat diamond. A nearly perfect. You could possibly use that for any pending nuptials that could be down the road. Interesting. And it was anonymous. We don't really know who. Well, I hmm. wonder. Huh? Would you rather have a burg or a diamond? And it says it's free of any internal perfections, according to a pre-sale statement, calling the stone's transparency similar to a pool of icy water. Do you know what? That is actually, those are the exact same words that James used when talking to Kaylee. Yeah. Kaylee? Talking to Kaylee about her eyes. Your eyes are so clear. J- James, did you buy any rings recently? It says anonymous. I did actually yesterday. Was it a hundred carat ring? Maybe. It's possible. You haven't bought a berg lately, have you? No. A fat berg? Uh uh-uh. uh. No. But you did buy a ring? Potentially. For the pending nuptials? Uh, what's the countdown? It is nine days. Are we still – st- it's still on? Yeah, nine days, eight hours, 23 minutes, and 48, seven, 46 seconds. And then the countdown – the countdown I'm paying attention to is eight days and then the same. Why the eight? Avengers. It's the day before. Day before his wedding. <laughs> Why am I the only one working here? What? I'm working. You both, you both are like on – autopilot for the Avengers Love Fest and for well, he can't see it. the wedding and I've got – I you know how much I've got to do in the next nine days to get ready for this wedding? Nothing? Just show I got to get my tux This fitted. is all self-imposed. No one I've asked gotta you. I've got to get my PowerPoint <laughs> toast ready. I've got to learn the tango. I've got to stretch out my hamstrings so I don't pull my hammy. But what do you think the odds are that – 
James, James bought, bought a $22 million ring yesterday. Zero percent. Really? Okay. I just oh. saw Anonymous, and I was wondering. Oh, James is going to say really high. It's like, I know somebody. Yeah. Did you buy her a ring? I well, did. Let's see it. Let's see it. I, you want to see the ring? Yeah, let me see it. Well, she, it's on her finger right now. Yeah. Bring me, bring me her finger. <laughs> that bring, sounds really that was sketchy. A, that was a, I was, that was an, I was paying homage to Shakespeare. Oh, okay. I think that, I think Hamlet said that. Bring me her finger. Uh, there's also, maybe not. Did you bite your thumb at me, sir? I don't remember that one. Okay, well, and one last story. How frustrated have you been at a computer? Seven. A seven out of ten? Seven frustration units. Guy in uh, Colorado Springs. Yeah. Ticked off at his desktop computer. Oh, no. Said, was struggling with it for weeks. Took it out behind his house, put eight bullets in it. (laughs) He got arrested on illegal discharge. Uh, Sir, you are not allowed to shoot your firearm. (laughs) He was like, oh, I'm. The police said he was good natured about the citation, told him he didn't know he was breaking the law. The newspaper reports that the computer is not expected to recover. You know what? People need to know. If you want to get rid of your computer, you need to knife it. You're not going to get arrested for knifing your computer. No, it's quiet. No you one's going to know. If you need to, hang it. If you need to, burg it. You could, use it, burg, a, you could use it as a pinata. But don't be shooting it. Yeah. Apparently. If you have a firearm, you know that. He had a weak moment. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. That's what we need to do is take these guys that go to jail for just silly things like that, send them down, let them chop away at the Berg in the chain gang. There you go. Just put them in the chain gang. Your job is to clean the sewer. They come out every day. They go in in the morning clean as a whistle. They come out at night greasy little. But 11 tons and 131 feet long. And I'm going to guess slimy. Oh, I bet. They just ought to light it on fire. I think that's a fear is that somebody would do something and I mean, it would throw, catch fire because yeah, it is cooking oil, you right? You throw a match so, down there, you're going to blow up the entire London. So don't the, the rule is don't put your cooking oil down your drain. Don't put your cooking oil down your drain. Don't shoot your computer for Pete's sake. And celebrate the upcoming wedding, the Birdsall Fest, with a $20 million wedding ring. That's the show for today. Hour number one. We're done. We're going to take a break, come back, uh, do more headlines, and get into um, how you might be sabotaging your own life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, folks. What we do on the show, try to give you the tools, the ideas to help you through life. None of us were born with an owner's manual. We don't know exactly what's going to work for us every time. So we try to give you some headlines, some news, but also information that you can use day in, day out to make your life better. Again, our ultimate goal to help you see the good in the world. Welcome to the program. This hour, we will be talking about sabotaging yourself. And uh, I also want to talk, just because I can't get it out of my head, little irritations. And you know, people, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, 
people are very irritating. Yes. You know what I mean? If I always hear if people say if, – if we didn't have people or if I didn't have this certain person in my life, I'd be a lot happier. But those little irritating people I'm finding out actually make us stronger. That's why I wanted that song. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Yeah, girl, <sighs> girl power anthems are all what Matt listens to. Teen, so. teen girl power. I like the teen <laughs> girl power anthem. Right. And anything that talks about Friday incessantly. Mm, that's a good song. That's a great song. Yeah. James, we'd be looking for that. I'd like to pay tribute to Friday. Yes, even should, though it's Thursday. Should it's we do it on Friday? Or? No, let's do it today. Okay. But I do let, – let's have that every Friday. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever been done before. No, I'm sure it hasn't. Mm, that doesn't feel cliche at all. Fresh ground. Right <laughs> that's why I'm doing it on a Thursday. See? Right. Cutting edge. High concept here. Cutting edge. So um, daughter's graduating today. Not to brag. But, you know, it takes a pretty incredible parent. To, to get, watch their kid go to school? To watch your child go to school. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. I get it. And a son-in-law graduating. Bada boom, bada bing. Two of them, done. <sighs> it's one of those moments. This is where parenting pays off. You just sit there and you just watch it. And you know, hey, that was the best 20 grand <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. So great. So um, that's my day. And – I'm doing it all with cancer poisoning. And no, uh, pizza poisoning, yeah. not cancer. Come on. It wasn't cancer. It was pizza. I overdosed. There's probably a study about pizza leading to some sort of nah. malady, but I don't know if it's cancer. I bet not. But uh, I bet you – I do know that if you don't eat fat for about a month – That your body gets out of yeah. – And it's like, let's not do that anymore. Let's not. That. No more fat bergs, dude. Same thing happens with sugar. Oh, really? If you back away from processed sugar for a while and then jump back in, it makes you sick. What about aspartame? Could be. I, I, I see pretty much all of that because none of it's uh, you know, real. So that I guess that's a sign I was getting healthier until last night when I overdosed on three and a half pieces of pizza. But was it worth it, though? It was for the first piece. The other ones you it just It was barbecue of... chicken pizza. Okay. Mm. That's some. That's some stuff. And that first piece was smooth, and the second half of the the second piece was pretty smooth. The third piece, my body started saying, "Have you not heard of eleven ton fatbergs?" <laughs> fatbergs. <laughs> and I thought, "I'm sick." Anyway, I'll survive. Whatever. Just stay hydrated. That's what my doctor says. <laughs> we mentioned uh, earlier about the Clinton Foundation. Yes. As uh, Hillary Clinton is running for president, the Clinton Foundation is going to be something that follows her around. It's a charitable foundation her and her husband started. It helps out uh, all around the world in different disasters and diseases and things. They they add to re- they uh, contribute to research. The problem is where do they get their money? From really rich foreign countries. The Clinton Foundation was linked to the Russian Atomic Energy Agency's 2013 acquisition of a company that controls one-fifth of all the uranium production capacity in the United States. This according to the New York Times. Wow. So Clinton <laughs> Foundation, Russian Atomic Energy Agency, they purchased a one-fifth of all the uranium production in this country. Uh, Russian agency Rostom took over Canadian company Uranium One, making it one of the world's largest uranium producers in three transactions from 2009 
through 2013. Hillary Clinton was among those who signed off on the deal while she was Secretary of State. Because you, you had a foreign power purchasing different things and so they had to approve it. And so she had to sign off on this. She signed off on it. Canadian records also revealed that during these transactions, leaders of the Canadian company gave donations to the Clinton Foundation, including $2.35 million from the Uranium One Chairman's Family Foundation. What, right? you, you can't, what, you can't buy uranium, make billions? So she approves the deal. Somebody, and donate money to charity. Somebody, the head of one of the companies involved, donates to her charity. Two and a half. Two, two and a half, well, $2.3 million. Mm-hmm. And then those donations were not made public despite uh, Hillary Clinton's agreement with the White House to identify all donors. Oh, boy. Just after Russia announced its plan to acquire a stake in Uranium One, the former President Bill Clinton received 500000 for a Moscow speech from a Russian investment bank linked to the Kremlin. <laughs> so now we have Russian money and we have <laughs> – you know, th- these stories are going to they're going to yeah. be dripped out for the next yes. 18 months. So this, that's what's so great about starting this season so early, the political season, because now we can just hear one of these a day or two or two. We just had the before we talked about how they're having tax issues because they under reported some donations. Apparently, I think you said repented, repent. I yeah. but you know what? There might need there, maybe some, there is some maybe repentance some Freudian there. there. Baltimore residents planned protests for Freddie Gray all week. Oh, Freddie Gray, sad. individual, I believe it was last weekend, he was arrested. He had a knife on him. Yeah. They arrested him um, in the events from his arrest to the back of a prison van. He ended up breaking his neck. Yeah. And he complained to the people in the van that he had broken his neck. I need help. He can't breathe. And I. From reports I heard, they made a couple more stops until they actually got him to the yeah. police station. And then once he got medical help, it was too far gone and he died. Apparently, he uh, he saw the police. They saw him and he turned and started running, thus showing he had – he probably hadn't broken his neck yet. Yeah. They chased him down and you know nobody knows really what's going on from that moment because the police aren't allowed – to talk, I guess, and there's an investigation yeah. ongoing. And there's a there's an interesting rule in Baltimore where they're given a, a waiting period of like ten days before the police officers need to make a comment. But this family doesn't have a body. They know their son is dead. They don't know how he died. They know he was happy and healthy that day. They don't know any other information, so they're frustrated. And all we can do is look at them, and because there's a special bill of rights for police officers in Baltimore that says they don't have to say anything for ten days. And so now there's protests planned for every day this week. Yeah. Uh, so far, they've, they've had protests, I believe, every single day leading up to today, obviously. So they're, they're, they've been uh, peaceful. Yeah. People have just, you know, they're, again, they're laying African down in the American, streets. African-American, right? This is another uh, African-American, another yeah. police incident, another you, – why you, are you even stopping this guy? You're again? hearing more stories of police abuse and They found the knife kind of later. Thing. They didn't necessarily know there was a knife at first. He just ran. That's why they chased there are, the mayor promises results of an investigation next week. Six officers have been suspended over this situation. I hope we're all learning, though, too. I mean, every police chief out there should not just be defending their current status or position. They, every, let's just be learning. Let's figure this out. It may not be that that Bill of Rights thing is, is healthy if it, the family can at least have their son's body back. I mean, there's certain things that families need to mourn. For crying out loud. On Wednesday, 
Google unveiled its new wireless service. Really? It's called Project Fi, as in Y. Fi. So it's the FI. Which offers pay-as-you-go data and promises to refund money for any data not used. Cash back. Cash back. The service costs $20 a month. Wow. Plus $10 for every gigabyte of data. That's interesting. I wonder how many people know how many gigs they use. It, it functions as a mobile virtual network, which means it leases network resources from Sprint and T-Mobile. The phone will use the service with the best signal wherever you're at, whether it be Wi-Fi, Sprint, or T-Mobile. So you would start you, – would you start buying your service, your internet service through Google instead of your phone provider? Yes, because you would have the service through Google and then they have the agreements with everybody else. <laughs> Google, they're into everything. At the moment, the service is limited to only one phone. You have to use Google's own Nexus 6. Well, that's not going to work. Which is, I've heard, okay. So, however that works. I, I like the Nexus and And, cur- and currently the program is invite only. Okay, so they're... It's a test. They're testing. They're it. testing. They, but I'm but telling you, if they get into that, that's huge. This is the same thing they've done with the fiber service they offer. Right. Where when they go into an area, they put the fiber, they start yeah. they're selling the fiber, and then all competition has to move to that lower price. That's amazing. Just to compete. And the same thing could happen with cell phones is they're trying to change the industry and make it more accessible. I like that your your phone company could have some competition on this. This is huge. I mean they'll still make money because they'll be using those networks. But interesting. By the way, the Google's into everything. Did you hear that they are now one of the sponsors of the Birds All Wedding? What? They are. The Matt Townsend Show is one of the sponsors. The other sponsor of the Birds All Wedding is Google um, Wi-Fi or Fi as they call it. Fi. Huh. That's neat. Uh, James, that is breaking news James, since they just announced this yesterday. They have the whole service. They've already got. They've already got the deal. Wow. Good job, James. Everyone Thanks. at the wedding is going <laughs> to touch one Lexus. Is that what they call it? Lexus Six. Nexus. Nexus Six Five. Lexus is a car. Yeah, there is a there is a Lexus that will be there that you can touch. Really? So, that too. <laughs> this is exciting news. Yeah, exciting news. Way to take advantage of it too, James. By the way, I mean, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't be putting sponsorships on their wedding. Yeah, kind of but might cheapen the whole thing. But that's fine. Here's that's an opportunity. Fine. We've been in talks for a long time. It's great. And this is a big deal. It's great. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, Mike Bundren's going to be joining us. Do you think you're sabotaging yourself? Have you ever had a situation where you cannot let go of the past? You just can't let it go? Well, we got a guy that's going to teach us some tools to actually let go of the past, move on, get out of your way, for heaven's sakes. There's the Friday song. Mm. Yeah, talk about sabotaging. That song will do it to you. We're going to take a break. Come right back. Talking self-sabotaging right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you, do you ever have certain moments in your past that are just still too difficult to talk about? You know, even though they were in the fifth grade, you know, something happened to you in the fifth grade, but you just, I don't want to talk about it yet. Is it just uh, too, too soon to mention? 
or you know maybe there's serious issues that have that have happened in the past people that have wronged you business partners that have stolen money friends that have hurt you betrayed you spouses that have uh, let you down you know it's possible that if you can't talk about it and you can still feel that hurt you may be emotionally attached to your negative past here to talk to us about the signs that you might be too attached to the negative past and how to stop that self-sabotaging behavior is Dr. Michael Bundrant. He is a certified NLP practitioner, and also you can find out a ton of his, uh, about him and his organization as well as just information about everything we're talking about, including the article we'll be addressing in on the website, inlpcenter.org, inlpcenter.org. Mike, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. Honored to have you. And we need you to teach us because a lot of us have, I mean, in fact, it seems like all of us would have something in our past that hurt us, that impacted us. But some of us have a really hard time of letting it go. Yes, uh, we sure do. And, you know, one thing about the past, um, it's a two-edged sword because without the past, uh, we wouldn't know anything if you think about it. Right. Uh, when you go to open a door, you know how to turn the knob and open the door because someone taught you in the past. I mean, we're dependent on the past for our knowledge because that's, that's where we learned it. However, not everything in the past is a bowl of cherries. A lot of things were painful to us. And it's really important to uh, acknowledge, process, work through that pain so it doesn't impede upon the present but sometimes we just don't want to do that yeah and i guess we keep processing it don't we we and and, um like we might notice and and i've had many people in my own coaching practice where you know they um they, they had something happen many 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 moons ago and they keep they keep living today as if it's the same thing and with their spouse for example uh, I've had I've had a person think that their spouse was addicted to pornography, and um, I asked, "Oh, really? So when was the when was the last time they were using the pornography?" And it was like eight years ago, but right. it's still impacting the partner as if it as if that trauma had happened today, and she still was judging him exactly as if it had happened today, and still experiencing the rejection or dismissal mm-hmm. or hurt. For something that is kind of a dead issue eight years uh, going. Yeah. And so we we really have a tendency to hang on to it. And that's why I say uh, we get attached to it. And it's interesting. It's sort of ironic because um, you wouldn't think, you know, we might be avoiding talking about it. It might be very painful. And it's not comfortable. We don't like it. But at the same time, we're keeping it alive. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's sort of an ironic uh, little twist there. And that's why I like to say we get attached to it. Or I talk about psychological attachments. These are things that are no, that are no fun. They're painful. Mm-hmm. They're, they're rejection. Uh, they're, uh, there's a sense of self-deprivation and so forth that goes with them. Why do we do that? I mean, I guess why do we? Why are we unwilling to talk about it? Um, We still remember it vividly. We feel the pain acutely in a very real, strong way, and we kind of we might even deny that we're having the problem. Yes, 
uh, and that's a really, really good question because the answer is get it out, get it out in the open, talk about it, uh, feel it, process it, get through it, and move on. So why don't we just why don't we do why don't we do that? Why don't we actually uh, go for the solution? And one of the answers or one of the theories about this is that it's been with us for so long, often since childhood, that we don't know what life would be like without it. Uh-huh. And I often, I often uh, say to people, you know, familiarity is one of the more powerful uh, psychological concepts there is. It, it's sort of like that's your home. What's familiar is safe. What's familiar is even uh, pleasurable in some ways. Uh, it's sort of like the feeling of going home. One of the things that's great about home is that it's familiar. Yeah, cozy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, what happens is if pain has become familiar to you, it also falls under that category of of safe and cozy mm-hmm. and comfortable. Oftentimes, we are more comfortable with our pain than the, than we are with the idea of happiness. So I often say to people, you know, we would so often choose a familiar pain over a foreign happiness. Oh, man. And, and people that's true. do that. that that's so, so – that's so – that's such a powerful statement. Huh? We'd we'd rather we'd we'd rather choose a familiar pain than a foreign happiness. Yes. Yeah. That that's it exactly. In fact, we do that every day. So one of the reasons that why we won't talk about it. Let's just say one of the subconscious reasons, because it doesn't make any sense consciously. But one of the subconscious reasons is uh, we're hanging on to it because. It's all we know. It's what's familiar to us. And often the idea of letting it go, sometimes it means, well, I I don't know what life would be like without this. I've been dealing with, say, criticism. If you grew up with very critical parents, and then you tend to gravitate toward people who tend to criticize you. If you grew up with neglectful parents, you tend to gravitate toward someone who's neglectful, say, as a, a spouse. It's it's and what would life be like without that? That's right. That, then you'd have to grow and change and and maybe experience things that you did you didn't anticipate. You couldn't understand necessarily through the paradigm of that one familiar pain. It's, exactly. it, it leaves you very vulnerable. In on your website, um, the website inlpcenter.org, you had an article that said ten signs that you are emotionally attached to the negative past. Some of these, let me just kind of read them out so people that are out there, they're thinking, man, I may be attached. You won't talk about it. You don't talk about your past. You get those old familiar feelings, I guess that pain over and over again. You can't be yourself around your family of origin. You fear disapproval in general. You react to your children like your parents did to you. You married your parent of the opposite sex. You repress emotions you can't control your impulses. Um, you feel limited in a some in some way, but you can't explain why. You know you're kind of limited, but you don't know why. And the last one is you repeat the same mistake over and over. If people are experiencing those signs, then they're probably in the throes of self-sabotage. Is that what you call it? Call it self-sabotage, yes, uh, which is – which I define as basically doing the opposite of would make uh, of what would make you happy and healthy. Hmm. So often we do things directly that cause us pain, 
And then often we avoid doing things that would make us happier. Yeah. And I call all of the above self-sabotage. Well, let's take a break and come back. I want you to teach us what we could be doing. I know you work with people uh, day in, day out, teaching uh, using NLP practices and tools to help them kind of unleash some of this. We, again, are talking with our great guest today. By the way, one of the things about him that I love so much is just this simple idea, folks, that um, this is you. This is inside of you. This is a power you can release. Mike Bundren is joining us, and he's going to teach us how, as individuals, to go kind of unlock our own junk and flush some of it. Let it go down. Let it go form into a big, fat berg <laughs> that we talked about earlier in the show. Hey, uh, Mike Bundren will be back with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, taking on self-sabotage right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about self-sabotaging. Those thoughts that you hang on to, the pain from the past that you don't let go of, and then you keep noticing it becomes a bigger and bigger part of your present. How do you get rid of this stuff? How do you not hang on to all of the pain in life? How do you not let your past keep predicting your future in an unhealthy way? Joining us is Mike Bundrant, and Mike is the founder of the INLP Center, which specializes in online NLP certification. He is an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Master Practitioner, and um, has also uh, the founder of the website, INLPCenter.org, which is a great resource and tool for everybody. Go check it out. He's got some great articles. We found an article that that's how we uh, found Mike was 10 signs that you are emotionally attached to a negative past. Mike, welcome back to the show. Great to be here. You bet. Good to have you. Talk to us then. Once we kind of know we're stuck because I'm not moving on, I, I kind of feel low self-worth, low self-esteem. I can attach it to history and points in my life. I don't feel like I know who I am. Um what do I do to kind of move away from the self-sabotaging behavior? Well, Matt, you pointed out the huge first step, which so many of us don't get to, which is acknowledging what's going on. Yeah. And it really needs to be kind of an aha moment where, where we say or ask ourselves some tough questions. Do I, is my life going kind of how it's always gone? <laughs> Uh, That's a great question. Like, am I? Yeah, because if you keep having the same problems, yeah, it's your life over and over. over, Yeah, this is your life. Is it kind of going how it's always gone? And could that mean that I have something to do with that? (laughs) Uh, Am I playing out, perhaps unwittingly, playing out an old pattern? And if that's true, am I attached to it? Is there some way I'm keeping the past alive? And then we can come to this incredible admission in a way. It's like, guess what? I am keeping my past alive. Now the now you can begin to put the puzzle pieces together. How am I how am I doing that? 
uh, how am I inviting, if I sort of grew up being criticized or rejected, how am I inviting further criticism and rejection into my life? If I grew up feeling kind of deprived, how am I continuing to deprive myself? And the, the whole key is you've got to catch yourself in the act. Yeah. You, you have to you have see to it, right? Yourself. You have you to have, have the to eyes see to see it. And it's funny um, – like sometimes I'll say, you know, you're in this pattern. We recognize the pattern. I'll work out the pattern and show them the pattern. And then I always ask him, so it's kind of exactly what you got to. Um, you're playing out an old pattern and some, for some reason this pattern is serving you. How do you notice that this pattern serves you? How does it benefit you? And they look at me like – at first they're mad like that was rude. Why would you think I would choose a negative pattern? But right. then I'm like, well, you wouldn't – you're a smart person. You wouldn't keep doing this if somehow it wasn't helping you some way. How does it help you? And then it's amazing though, like what you're saying. When they get the idea and they have the eyes to see it, it's amazing how sometimes these things can kind of just start going away just because they yeah. see the pattern. And they yeah. and they own that, yeah, you know what? I've been using this too long. Yes, exactly. And that, that's what I find as well. That aha moment comes when people realize, you know what? I don't want to do this. I'm doing, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And uh, often it seems absurd. Uh, and so the conscious realization that I'm doing this, and in fact, I am seeking it out. And so I'll often do something that's really quite bizarre with people, which is I'll help them set what I call a negative goal. It's a twisted goal. <laughs> it's sort of like I'm going through the day kind of feeling rejected, maybe that people don't like me or, or what have you. And this is, this is a pattern going on for many, many years. And when people begin to understand how self-sabotage works and how we actually seek out the familiar, then it follows that we're seeking to be rejected. Hmm. And so I'll often say to people, once we've sort of established this, and not right off the bat, of course, but w once we've established this, I'll often say to people, I want you to set a goal every morning when you wake up, a conscious goal. And the conscious goal is, today I want to feel rejected as many times as possible. And your mission is to catch yourself accomplishing that goal, right? Yeah. So you get out of bed, you go in the bathroom and look in the mirror, and you say, oh, I look horrible. Aha, you just accomplished your goal. There's one. You had a goal to feel rejected. Yeah. Now you can, you, you can put a tick mark on that, <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, it's like you go downstairs. Oh, I didn't do the dishes last night. Jeez, I'm so negligent. Okay. Bing. There you go. There's another one. And you can go throughout the day, and when people do this, if you go, I have a goal to feel rejected, and you go throughout the day, you can, you can begin to rack up all of these examples of how you're rejecting yourself yeah. or you're communicating in such a way in, that, in which others reject you. Somebody does something rather benign, you yell at them, mm -hmm. they're going to reject you in return. Now, Mike, you know? some would say that's just crazy. You're being all negative. Why would we want to go find all of our negative stuff? And that's the beauty of it because deep down – we're not negative. Deep down, yeah. we don't want this. When we catch ourselves doing it, uh, 
in a way, it's painfully liberating. Yeah. It's like, wow, I can't believe I'm, I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm doing that. And so what happens when we catch ourselves doing it is that uh, we begin to let it go. We begin to take responsibility for it. And with that uh, taking responsibility comes choice. And that's what it's all about. A lot of these patterns are on autopilot. We're just sort of passively uh, going along with them as if some voice in our head is talking to us that's not our voice. Well, it's your voice. Mm-hmm. And then when you take responsibility for it, then you begin to have influence over that voice. And that's what this is all about. And it's almost like if, if, we, if we only just keep trying to change them to be positive, they're already faking that anyway. But when you, when you force them to yeah. go look for the negative – they they can they can see that they know they do it, but it brings to their attention that man, you're good at this. Like you're you do this a lot. You see this a lot. Yeah. It sets a. It really is. It's it's this neat, I guess, trick that our bodies, our minds play on us because it, I guess it's there to protect us, right? So we don't we we keep the old patterns alive for some reason. I guess it's safer. It's predictable. It's but in the end, it's it's not helping us. You call, don't you call some of um, our problems from the past though? They come from psychological attachments mm-hmm. that kind of lead mm-hmm. to the self sabotage. Talk about what those are. I know you break them into categories. What are some of those? Yeah, a, a psychological attachment is basically a pervasive tendency to seek out something negative. And again, it's an unconscious tendency. But what happens is, and you know, we're all in this. Oh, just being born onto this earth, uh, you're going to end up with a psychological attachment right. uh, of one kind or another because when we're born and we're young children, we simply don't understand that we can't have everything we want all of the time immediately and so forth. The world has limitations, and yet our expectations have no limits. And so we're going to bump into reality over and over and over again, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. So we're going to have negative experiences. Uh, we're going to want food. Mom isn't available. She's got to wait three minutes. We're going to scream. And uh, that's, there's a sense of rejection that goes along with that. And so what happens is we have negative experiences. And, of course, if you have parents who are bad parents, it's going to be uh, amplified. Mm-hmm. We have these negative experiences over and over and over again. And the only way really to deal with them is to learn to tolerate them, to build up your tolerance, to familiarize them. And then, lo and behold, uh, we've got this pool of negativity that's become really all too familiar to us, and in some ways even pleasurable. I know that sounds extreme, uh, but if you think of examples in society of people taking pleasure in pain, there are a lot of examples of people taking pleasure in pain uh, in the world. And so we, we build up this familiarity and tolerance, and that's what we learn to, see, to seek. Hmm. And everybody has a different dose of that. Yeah. Uh, there are people who are just on autopilot, just ingrained, hardcore negativity. And it seems like that's who they are. And then there are other people who, you know, are are pretty balanced. So everybody gets a little bit of a different dose of this, of these psychological attachments. But it's a pervasive tendency to seek out this old familiar pain 
and recreate it, rehash it over and over and over again. And, and, then, and then I guess do you end up – you then um, I guess end up playing a role. So if I always feel like uh, maybe I'm always rejected, does that tend to make me more of a pleaser that's always seeking to be pleased? Or I mean is it is it kind of – how I self-sabotage uh, leads to the type of person I eventually kind of, you know, the, yeah. the bundle it's, I fall into. A, we call them attachment types uh, at the INLP Center. Our, our program is called the AHA Solution. There's different attachment types. So under rejection, uh, there's different ways that we set ourselves up to be rejected. One way that works so well is to be a perfectionist. Yeah. Because if you're a perfectionist, eh, there's nothing that you can do that's good enough for you. You're going to have that old sense of rejection over and over and over again. Huh. Uh, another way, yeah, a lot of people uh, are, we call it the joker. Um, you're just very, very self-deprecating, constantly bagging on yourselves and making a joke out yeah. of yourself. Uh, that, that's another way. Uh, and then there's also a whole, uh, we, we call this one the self-defeater. Uh, there's a lot of things uh, that you'll do often uh, inexplicably to defeat yourself. You're set, you'll set a goal, uh, say you're going to go to the gym and get in shape, and as soon as you start, as soon as the goal starts working, you get uncomfortable and quit mm. for some reason. Uh, so self-defeating uh, behaviors are a great way to set yourself up to feel rejected again and again not good enough. It's interesting because you've got things like, I mean, in, in, your, in these different attachment types, you have the self-defeater, you have the joker, you have the perfectionist, but you also have like the rebel and you have kind of the go along, the just kind of, I guess yeah. the go along. Talk about, talk about more of these types because I think a lot of us just have naturally put ourselves in one of these attachment types without any concept that we're even there and then we keep yeah. fulfilling that way. We keep fulfilling that way, and it's self-deceptive in that uh, for the the rebel. There, the rebel is what we is under a category that we call a control attachment, which is an attachment not to not to controlling others. It's an attachment to being controlled by others or by life. It's sort of like we're going through life feeling that everyone's trying to control us and. Maybe being controlled is what's really familiar to you. You grew up with really controlling parents. You had to toe the line and you were punished. So the rebel is great. I love the rebel because uh, the, the rebel is sort of anti-authority. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rebel is one of the real self-deceiving ones because if I'm a rebel, the last thing I'm ever going to admit is that I have a knack for putting myself in situations in which I feel controlled or I am controlled. But as a rebel, that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, if you line up 10 employees, nine employees are basically balanced and cooperative, flexible, doing their job. One employee is a rebel and anti-authority. Which employee is the one that's going to be intervened on the most? <laughs> the, the rebel. rebel. I mean, we're setting ourselves That's up right. yeah. to be controlled when we're rebelling. Uh, it, it's huge. It, 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 it's, it's huge. I mean, I, with my wife, when I rebel, that's when she intervenes. So yeah. It's time to go in 10 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, don't tell me what to do. Yeah, right? get so off my back. Go, yeah, exactly. Nine minutes go by, and she's all over me telling me what to do and insisting. Yeah. And here I have someone that's just 
trying to control me, right? That's right. And it's only because I rebelled. If I just cooperated, yeah. It would have, there'd be no attempt at intervention on her part. See, this is what I like, Mike, is, I mean, and, and these patterns are so, they're deeply held. They're, they're not always, we don't see them except we see the impact of them and we're frustrated by them. We have about uh, 30 seconds left. Talk to us, just give us, what's the one thing we should all be thinking about if we feel like we're in a self-sabotaging cycle? What, what's the one thing that might begin to just open it up for us? Uh, one thing that might begin to open it up for us is um, you ha- if you look at it as what's my goal here, whatever the negative results that I'm getting, let's just pretend that I'm seeking them. And why would I do that? Where would I have learned to do that? How am I creating this? And that, And do some journaling just on that thought. And it may begin to open up a pattern that you've been maybe afraid to look at oh, yeah. in the past. Good stuff, Mike. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time and your insight, your expertise. Again, he's from the website inlpcenter.org, inlpcenter.org. Mike Bundrant's his name. He's got uh, tons of information there. And just if you want to you know, use the services or become even an NLP practitioner it's a great source for you there for that as well we're going to take a break my friends come back to the coach's corner and continue discussing our own storytelling behaviors this is the matt townsend show you're listening to us right here on sirius xm 143 byu radio Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we just talked about uh, self-sabotaging and just a lot of the patterns that we get into, right, as people that, you know, we're just trying to live our lives. Come on, get off my back. But if you keep seeing consistent results that aren't aligned to what you want, something's going on. And um, what we tend to do as humans, and I want you to really think about this because I do it all the time. Everybody does it. We, we end up making up stories, okay? A lot of us, we just have stories. And it's so important to me that um, you start to notice the stories you tell about you, right? So when, when something happens to you, how do you handle it? I, I've, I've sat with clients. I've sat with friends. I've even been myself just sitting there thinking, I keep telling the story that this and this happens, um, but I, what I notice is a lot of times the stories aren't real. So the only way that we can continue to be self-sabotaging is if we never, ever, ever look at our part of the story. So I personally believe you are all on this earth to be an actor, right? You're here to act. You're not just here to be acted upon. You're not just here to float down the river of life. And just whatever happens to you happens to you. You are here to make a difference and to to choose and to exercise choice and agency in whatever part of life you can exercise it. And I think by doing that, it makes you stronger, right? You get healthier. You get better. You can't choose everything that happens to you, but you can choose how you handle it. Now, here's what we do, though, I believe. Once we've gone through an experience of something, once we've handled something, as we think, we then make up a story. 
for how that went. Usually when we tell a story, we tell the story to minimize the negative repercussions on ourselves and we we maximize the potential positives that that story can yield for us. If I, uh, you know, if somebody breaks up with a girlfriend, they usually will tell the story, you know, she was complicated, she had a lot of needs, she had a bad history, she was high maintenance. They tell the story. Notice in that story that I'm telling, I'm not saying anything about me. I'm not saying that, you know what, I'm kind of selfish. I like my own space and time. I don't like to have to serve beyond what I need to serve to get what I want. So we all of a sudden end up being stuck because my story isn't complete. My story ends up being a half story. And a half story will only create a half life, right? Or half a result. Now, some of us honestly are more impressed with being able to tell our stories than we are in getting results. If you're not getting results in your life, then you got to tell a different story. If this is the 44th woman you've broken up with who was, you know, selfish, immature, dependent, needy, whatever, don't blame 44 women for your problem. Start to tell the whole story. Start to identify what half of the story are you causing. I'm selfish. I have a hard time. I love being single. I have a hard time truly connecting to somebody. Uh, And if, you know, once once I see that it's going to be more work than pleasure for me, I'm kind of quick to jump out. Now, you don't need to beat yourself up. I'm a loser. I'm an idiot. Nobody wants to marry. No, you don't need to go there either. You need to tell the whole story. Whole story, uh, the root, the word healthy comes from the root word hale and hearty, which means whole, complete, strong. So a whole story is what we need to tell. The reason we need to tell the whole story too is so that you can start to identify what part of the problem are you. When couples come into me, I always, especially when they come and speak to me one by one, I always tell them, you are 100% of your problem here. I'm not telling you your partner's not messed up because they are so messed up. But what I am telling you is you are the only person who can decide how you will respond to it, what you will do, and what part of the problem you're going to be. You're the only one. So because you're half of the problem, I need you to work 100% of the time on your half. And the first thing I'd start working on is the story you're telling. Quit blaming anyone else in your life for why you are where you are. Quit blaming your boss for firing you for why you're unemployed. Quit blaming your ex-wife for divorcing you. Well, what if she had an affair, Matt? Yeah, what if she did? Okay, that's bad. Wrong. Shouldn't do it. And yet, that's that's not why you are where you are. Are you saying I made her have an affair? No, I didn't. I'm not saying that. You are now where you are. If you're devastated, pained, in a hole, can't pull out of it, You are there not because of your wife having an affair and divorcing you. You are there right now because you haven't worked on what's keeping you there. You keep telling the story about your wife instead of telling the story about how you're really having a hard time recovering from this. And here's why I think you – and here's why I think I am. The minute you have to expose those things, you start to expose your shame. You start to expose your weakness. And the minute you expose your shame and weakness, guess what happens? You can start to deal with it and your body can start to regulate and create a better plan. Booyah!
That's how you do it. Oh, that's so easy for you to say, Matt. No, it's not because I have my stories. So, folks, you got to decide. Is the story of your life more important to you? Well, you know, I mean, I'd love to be with my kids more, but the reality is my wife won't let me and she moved away and all these other things that make the story. Right. But if you really want to be with your kids, then you got to make changes. And if being with your kids means making the changes, then you got to make the changes. Then your story's aligned. Make sense? Not fair. Let's get real. I'm never going to say that's fair. But the reality is, is you're here to grow for you personally. You're here for you to grow. You're not here to be, you know, strengthened or weakened by everyone else on this planet. You are here for you to grow. And I believe as you deal with your own trials and tell healthier stories, guess what's going to happen? You will grow. The greatest beneficiary, by the way, of you growing is you growing, not even your kids, not your grandparents, not society, not the community, you. You get better when you exercise integrity in your own storytelling. That's the Coach's Corner, my friends. That's it for hour number two. We're going to take a break, uh, do some headlines, come back, and take on uh, a whole new set of topics, including BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, the show where we, you know, do everything we can to help you find the good in the world. And it's hard sometimes if you just listen to the news. Seems like the world is falling around us. And then your kids. I got a child graduating today. Today, later in the show, though, we're going to be talking to Hadge, Heather Ann Johnson, one of our great contributors, will be joining us, and she is going to teach us about you know, boundaries. When do we start, you know, expanding the boundaries of our children and let them do more things? Oh, you can't wait till they graduate. Like James, we've been raising him since a pup. And look at the man we've made him into. You're such a man, James. You need to let me go, Matt. Well, I'm expanding your boundaries in nine days. I'm going to let you marry. Cut the cord, Matt. Come on. <laughs> it's time. I will after we do the dance and the PowerPoint. It's going to be the best. Uh, it's only 30, power, 30, 30 images in or 30 pages in my PowerPoint uh, toast for your wedding. Slides. Just 30 slides? 30 slides. And, well, th- five of them are videos. Of you? Well, of us. Oh, okay. I mean, a lot of them are me. Well, sure. But they're, I think they're memorable. So you're giving a presentation, and then in that presentation, you're going to be I'm giving a showing, toast. Okay, and then showing wedding. videos of you giving a presentation. Uh huh. Okay. I'm actually showing clips of me toasting other people. But it's other a preview toasts. of what's going to happen in the next couple of minutes. Yeah. Right. So just a yeah. preview of things to come. Wow, that's like coming attractions. He says, yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's the toast within the toast and the presentation. It's talking about the toast. Let's just say this is the toast that people are going to walk away talking about. Yeah. In fact, I will bet my toast will get more attention at your wedding than even you two. 
That's very kind of you. <laughs> very considerate. And like in Inception, time will be different when you're in the third Everything level. Everything will slow down. It'll slow down. <laughs> now, the whole thing will slow down and seem like it's taking forever because it is. Yeah. Because he'll drag it out. It'll it'll feel like an hour and 30 minutes. It will only actually be an hour and 10 minutes. I bet you it's going to feel even longer than that. How long is the reception? How much time do I two have to hours. work with? You have okay. two hours. So I have two hours to work with. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm – yeah, I'll only take about an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, but, actually, actually, I just got uh, a text from Kaylee. She says that the reception is only going to be about 10 minutes. So uh, you only have 10 minutes to work with. You know what? That doesn't work for me. Tell, write Kaylee back. Take a note. OK. And just say, Kaylee, Matt needs more time because I can't do the tango in less than a half hour. A half hour tango? Yeah. Wow. Have you ever done the tango? Do you have like a playlist of songs that you like dance through? Or no, I've it... had a customized tango song that is a half hour song. It's, it's a remix of La Bamba mm-hmm. and somehow he tangos to <laughs> I it. I just it's kind really of like – re- I just keep repeating. A half hour remix of La Bamba. <laughs> it's hot though. So anyway, just know it's – I'm there for you. And and I, you know what? I'm also going to get you a present. Don't get me wrong. We give you a signed copy of my book. Wow. Yeah. But you get the toast, dude. You'll be the toast of the town. Send. Look at that. Toast of the town. Send. Send. Gotcha. Right. Anything? Anything else going on? Um, other than the great wedding. Ted Cruz. He's running for president. How's Ted doing? Well, Ted's doing all right. One of one of the attributes that people assign to Ted Cruz is that he's a great orator. Mm-hmm. Right, he's a great uh, debate. He's had a lot of experience in debate in college. It says years before wowing Tea Party Republicans with his spirited assaults on big government, Senator Ted Cruz was revered, a revered speaker on the college debate circuit. Did you know there was a college debate circuit? I, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's also a college toasting circuit. He's known for his arsenal of rhetorical skills and theatrical yeah. gestures. They're all saying, turn him loose. He's the great debater. According to the New York, uh, New York Times feature, the 2016 candidate's college career, uh, Cruz often excelled in uh, competition, but for all his verbal gifts, Cruz could still quite easily be derailed by a little unexpected levity. Really? So if somebody like made a joke, it would like derail him and he couldn't find his... His anger again? What would happen? Top debaters on the circuit who frequently beat Mr. Cruz discovered it was easy to get under his skin, especially with humor. It just uh, it uh, would unravel uh. him. Someone made some comment um, about his father uh. that was obviously a joke, and he took it as a complete insult. And he lost it. And he lost it, and the crowd was just like, well, what's going on? And I think it's more that you're in the moment, you think yeah. it's serious, and somebody does something humorous, but you don't grab the humor. Mm-hmm. And you just take it as the person's being serious and Isn't they insulted funny? you. They already know that. Oh, would you not love to see a debate between Hillary and Mr. Cruz and see her try to say something funny like Saturday Night Live, yeah. you know, Some satire humor. funny. Right. Because she's not known for being funny. No. So it would be, <laughs> awkward, like it would be awkward humor her way. And then, and then see him get totally sidetracked and get offended and like prepare to die. Yeah. Made fun of my father. That kind of thing. So apparently humor is the uh, the kryptonite for – Who would think that you're going to derail a guy like him with just a good joke? I don't know. 
That's great. The article mentioned a few knock-knock jokes that may work. <laughs> I so. just flew them from Chicago. <laughs> Boy, are my arms tired. In an interview with USA Today, Charles Koch, one of the Koch brothers. Not put, Coca-Cola brothers, which is These different. are the uh, industrialist billionaires. Yeah. They clarified that contrary to recent reporting uh, suggesting that he and his brother were aligning behind Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, yeah. the two remained undecided. Uh, in the GOP primary. But when the billionaire brothers, whose political network aims to spend nearly $900 million in this election cycle, they when they do pick a, a candidate to back, they'll tab someone who they actually – who actually won actually stands a chance of winning. Yeah. That's key. One. Don't want to waste your money. They've got to stand a chance. More specifically, they'll seek someone who is articulating a good message to help Americans get a better understanding and better appreciation of how certain – Policies will benefit them and will benefit America. So, do you have a good message that people are understanding? You got to have a buying? good message. You got to have a chance to win. And apparently, you can't have the Achilles' heel of letting humor detract right. you from a good debate. And then they say, what we expect them to do is to compete on who has a more positive message for America. That's what they want to see from the primaries. Okay, can I just say something? Who cares what the Koch brothers think? The $900 million, that that's what people care about. Exactly. But when you're Hillary, you don't care. Well, she has her George Soros-type people <laughs> yeah. on the Democrat side to But it's so interesting. Look at two people have so much power. But this it's interesting. Wa- this is why everybody wants campaign they go They go on to say rather than have the candidates discuss what's wrong with some other candidate. Yeah. Like yeah, as, yeah. You know, what, what did they smoke when they were 14? Have a Who vision. Cares? Have a plan. What are they doing now? How are they going to improve right. America? What are the issues? Stay on point. That's what they're looking yeah. for. That was see. That's what you need. You need somebody that's like a leader that has a plan, and then these guys will throw their money at it. Yeah. Who was the other one? Um, we always talk about another financier that will. Oh well, uh, Soros will throw out the Democratic side. It's just like these three or four people that seem to have all this power, and that's the problem. And why campaign right finance reform is needed. <sighs> see, this is why you need to start a, a charity. That a global charity that people could donate money to, right? To raise billions, and then help grease the skids in the money world, and eventually divert all future monies to a campaign. Oh, yeah, Clinton Foundation. Oh, did they do that? They did that. The Clinton Foundation kind of fits that mold, but we'll have to see as it's they all future unravel it's not that past. They did, yeah, future. And one last thought: China is cracking down on the corruption of golf. Really. The president of China, they cracked down on what he calls vice. He's cracking down on vice and corruption and has gone after drugs and bribery and improprieties. Now he's going after golf <laughs> because he sees it as, in a flurry of recent reports, state-run news outlets have depicted the sport as yet another temptation that has led the Communist Party officials astray. A top official at the Commerce Ministry is under investigation on suspicion of allowing an unidentified company to pay his golf expenses. Really? The government has also shut down dozens of courses across the country that were built in violation of a ban intended to protect China's limited supplies of water and farmable land. I thought everybody cheats in golf. So I thought that's that's what he was going after is the fact yes. that – Well, the point is he says here to prevent unclean behavior and disciplinary or illegal conduct. Yeah, but he's like more talking you know, money under the table. We go golfing. I slide you some money. You get me a contract. It's also seen as a really American thing to do. Yeah. And that's maybe – I think it's the clothes. He's after – he doesn't yeah. like good – he doesn't like well-dressed golfers in like puffy little – Neon colors. Yeah. Neon 
culotte short yeah with they look like easter white eggs stockings by the way again another tribute to shakespeare puffy little culotte short pants <laughs> with tight stockings so yes golf is now being vilified in china don't mess with golf but then it said like a million people play golf in china yeah it's a country of just over a billion people. It's a, it's Wouldn't a, it be a little more than a million, you think? Just, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a big problem. It just seems no. like if you want to shut down golfing in China, just get rid of the courses. And that's what they're doing. They're shutting down huge complexes of that's 12 different golf courses. They tragic. just shut them down. What we about the kids? What about the kids that can't like get stuck in a in a sand trap and try to hit that ball out 20 times. Life lessons to be learned. And then lie about their score. Oh, four. Four? You were in there like at least 18 strokes. Yeah, four is what we're counting. Golfing. Golfing is the great uh, It's the great sport of not just kings, queens, but of liars and cheaters. So rude. Come on, China. It's hard. It's hard to do. We're going to take a break, my friends, and uh, we're going to be talking about when we come back this idea of how much freedom does one give their children? Do you give your children a lot of latitude? How do you start expanding their boundaries when uh, when you you know you used to keep them right under your nose? When do you start letting them out to grow? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back talk about it right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Uh, I learned a very important lesson with our next guest. Heather Ann Johnson's here from uh, FamilyVolley.com. She is a BYU professor um, and fantastic, incredible. She comes in sporting her cross, no, her Fitbit watch. Uh, and again, I've been, not to brag, but I've been uh, sporting one myself. And I thought, oh, I'm going to ask her uh, how many steps she's taken today. And I, I asked you, and what did you say, Heather? I said 11,000. But if I look at the watch, yeah, there's a number, 11,665 steps, which it's, just so you know, in listener land, it's about 920 where, we're, where we are recording this. How do you take 11,600 and whatever steps? I have, and then she asked, oh, how many do you have? And then I tried to change the subject, but she wouldn't <laughs> take it. I have 2,500 steps. That's good. That's a good number. That's just to get me showered. <laughs> that you have 11,000 steps. That's usually what I get in a day and you have it by 9 in the morning. Yeah. Well, You're out of control. We walked kids to school today. We, you know. You know what? You need a car. They add, <laughs> we, Do you not have a car? We do. We have two of them actually. You need to use your car more. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Heather, good to see you. I don't get to see you as much. What's the deal? I know. It's good to be it's here. It's because you're on campus. You're all popular. She's, by, by the way, one of the most popular uh, professors on campus. Oh, that's nice of you. And a red hot chili pepper. It's a good campus to be on. It's a if good place to be. If you're keeping score. <laughs> it is a good campus. We need your help. Did you hear the story about uh, those kids in the, in the uh, park? Their parents dropped them off mm-hmm. about a mile from their house. Right. And all of a sudden, cops pick them up. By the way, second time this has happened. Right. Neighbors called both times, right? Mm-hmm. The neighbors call and say, 
There's these kids. They've been to the park for an hour. No one's watching them. Come on. The police pick them up, right? That's crazy. So the second time, the police pick them up and hang on to them for a little bit to see if the parents are going to miss them. Yeah. A little bit of time goes by. The, well, parents, the parents don't call. Well, the parents were expecting that they'd be home at 6. Right. And at 6.30, they were pretty panicked. They started to worry. Yeah. Right? And so they bring them home. And now I think they're being watched pretty closely. Now, okay. It seems like as a child who uh, at the age of 10 was on the roof of my house changing, the, right. changing the filters on the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens when you're the only boy, yeah, right? Only I boy. Was, I was the man of the house and I, apparently I, I reached manhood at 10 because that's when she'd let me climb the ladder. Right. And then by the way, I kept the ladder for years and just kept going up on the roof <laughs> when my mom was gone. Tons of fun. Um, but So how do we expand the boundaries because we can't – you got to let your kids grow. You got to let them kind of in, go to the park. A sure. 10-year-old should be able to go to the park. We would hope. And right? walk hope. home a mile. Right. I used to walk to school 15 miles. Well, if we think about kind of the scope of all of this, we kind of have two sides, two different camps. And the first side, if we're talking about extremes, is helicopter parenting. Yeah. And this is the parent that just hovers, micromanages, really like a helicopter. They just hover over every decision, yeah. every step that's taken. So what happens is we have this new way of parenting called free-range parenting, yeah. which is where these this family that we're talking about falls, right? Let them go. Just let everybody right. go and grow. Right. And the funny thing was this was really started by a woman in New York who allowed her nine-year-old son to ride the subway all by himself. And yeah. so that's kind of where all of this started. Now, just to kind of, I don't know, make sure all the details are out there. There's this understanding that free-range parenting means I don't care and I don't monitor. Yeah. And that's not what free-range or slow parenting is. Free-range parenting is this idea that we allow our children to actually be children. But we teach them first so they have the tools that they need to go out and make the right decisions while they're exploring. You you train them up. You teach them. And then you let them have an experience like riding the subway. Right. And like I would think that you'd like – Watch, right? You'd right. be there, but she—I mean, she doesn't necessarily. She do didn't. That. She's a—he's a big kid. He knows what we do. This is how we do it, right? And we'll make sure he gets there. Sure. We're not going to just throw him to the wolves. And it wasn't, you know, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. It was busy, you know, those types of things. So they feel a little bit better now. Everyone always says, and as this comes up, they say to me, "Okay, which camp do you belong yeah. to? Where do you fall? Do you believe in this?" And I think it's really hard to choose strictly aside. But some things that I do know I believe in is I don't believe in extremes ever. Yeah, whether it's parents or marriage, extremes get us into trouble. Right. Stay in the happy space in the middle. Let's find a balanced, yeah, moderate middle thing? ground, right? And so when we do that, and even when we look at theories, there's a great theory called the circumplex model. And it looks at our togetherness and it looks at our ability to be flexible in our communication. And time and time again, it proves that a balanced moderate lifestyle or parenting style or marriage style is going to be the best. And so I think if we go too far one way, too far free range, too much, you know, do whatever you want, or if we go too far where we're helicoptering, we're going to run into trouble. So I think what we can all agree on is the need to find a middle ground or the need to teach our children to be self-reliant so that they can grow up to be adults who can handle their own life and can do their own See, things. See, and, so, and behind that, there's certain principles. There's principles of, de- I mean, development. Right. They shouldn't do something that 
developmentally they're not able to do or Absolutely. not in the even realm to do. And we don't want to choose a parenting style or go towards kind of this slow free range style out of laziness. Yeah. And I know and I, nor am I implying in any way that that is why people do this. Yeah. But I think as a society we have this misnomer that someone who allows their children to have a little more freedom is being lazy. But we have no idea what the teaching or what teaching could have gone on to mm-hmm. prepare them for right. those opportunities. And so I think it's where we take a step back. We stop judging a little bit. You bet. Uh, we're their parents for a reason. And if we're doing our job, then in on the back end, we're preparing them. And this type of parenting, it takes an awful lot of work oh, to it, get your kids ready to walk a mile to yeah. the park. Oh, right? yeah. And have some mechanism of knowing what to do when. I have a sister that works full time. Her children... My wife uh, works at home full time and then has to deal with me full time. So it's like seriously. She's got a lot of jobs. Yeah. She's <laughs> have 10,000 steps by eight, 8 in the morning. <laughs> but one of the dilemmas is my my kids probably aren't maturing in a way that my sister's kids are. Sure. They, they're learning. They're very independent. Mm-hmm. They're very self-sufficient. They check in. They have all of these protocols that my sister's created. My kids are a little harder to tame in a way. Sure. Because and- we haven't. We haven't managed it the same way. Right. Those opportunities or they haven't been forced or given to them yet. Forced is a great word. So and and that's back to where we decide as parents and everyone's situation is different. Maybe the woman in New York is more like your sister and there is a need for her son to be able to handle the subway in the middle of the day home from school by himself. Maybe that's a need that their family has. And so she's prepared him to be able to handle that need. And so we have to think those things through for ourselves. It's where we stop saying, how are the Jones? is doing it or the Smith's doing it and we say, wait a second, in our home, what is very best for us? And one kid may not be the same as the next That's kid. exactly one right. One kid could handle it. One kid – I mean I have a kid. You wouldn't let him – you wouldn't let him have the subway at 20. Well, well, it's true. I even look at our children and our oldest, you know, if I'm thinking about babysitting or leaving younger kids at home, I kind of would shoot for our daughter who's two and a mm-hmm. half years younger than him yeah. before I'd go because she's more in tune and she so hears true. all the sounds more and she knows what's going on. So we have to look at each of them. And again, that's where we take a step back as parents and we make sure we're so very involved mm-hmm. the right way that we can negotiate these things. But if we want to kind of come together, let's talk about some of the things we can do to teach self-reliance. Yeah. Right? And that's so give us give us one right now. What's one thing we should be making sure our child is getting? We're going uh, to teach get them. Yeah, you've got to, right? Right. You've got to do it. And there's this thought that if we avoid teaching them tough things, it will safeguard them. And it's not mm-hmm. true. No. So having the conversation about what to do if a stranger approaches you, role play that uh-huh. 50 million times. And how to say it, what you do, right. where you go, who you find. It's exactly right. What if they say this? What if they talk about a missing puppy? What if it's candy? What if they say your mom told me to? We have to have these conversations. So we're kidding ourselves to think that we can you know, keep them at home or send them out without having so these difficult true. conversations. So the very first thing to remember is instead of running away from them for fear that we scare them, let's empower them. Give them all the knowledge and tools they need so that if for some horrible chance they run into those situations, mm-hmm. they know just where to run, just what to say. Yeah. Even the distance from a car, you know, we, we have a a key word with our kids that someone would have to say to them. Mm -hmm. And they even know how close they can get to a car that might approach them. So talk through, teach them, talk through those things first. Just tell us your key word. What's your key word? (laughs) You're not going to tell us, are you? No, I'm I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Earlier you said balance is important. We've got to go. But um, do you think it's balanced to have 12,000 steps before nine in the morning? (laughs) I do for my lifestyle. Seems out of balance. You're just jealous. I have 2,500 steps. And you know what? I'm probably not going to take another one the rest of the day. (laughs) 
I'm going to just scoot in my chair throughout the rest it's of the one, day. You're all or nothing then. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We're going to come back more with uh, Hadge, Heather Ann Johnson, and, and learning about how to empower our children, how to reset boundaries, how to teach them to be independent, to free range a little bit with a little bit of uh, hovering. <laughs> a little bit. The Hubbard Free Ranger. There we go. Up next, more with Hadge on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Heather Ann Johnson. Hadge, we call her, because you're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. <laughs> that brings back <laughs> such great memories. <laughs> Heather's here, and uh, she is from the website familyvolley.com, also a BYU professor, and teaches us how to be more active with our families and also just basic common parenting sense. It shouldn't be this hard but make, today we're talking about the kidlets. Yes. We and, make it harder than it is. Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't know. Some of us do 2,500 <laughs> steps by nine. Some do 12,000. 12,000. <laughs> I asked her what her goal is in steps per day, and she's like, I try to do two and a half my goal. <laughs> it's so messed up. 25,000 steps you're going to have. We're working on it. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah whatever. Hey, so teach us um, – what are we supposed to do to kind of empower our kids, get them to the space where we can, you know, open the boundaries up a little bit? Maybe they can stay out later. Maybe they can drive the car, whatever. Or walk, right? Or they walk can, to the park. Sure. Make those choices themselves. So we talked about the need to really teach them. We've got to teach them what they need to yeah. know. Now, here's another great tip and tool that we can use, and that is teaching them how to brainstorm. Oh, cool. Now, we don't often think about this, but we want to teach our children to brainstorm so that they can solve their own problems. Yeah. Now, you can only imagine whether your child is 9 or 15, whatever the age, and whether they're walking a mile to the park or they're just out back or, you know, they're getting ready for school. Whatever the issue might be, they have to solve problems. And so if we can teach them to do that, if we can teach them to logically think through or brainstorm solutions, yeah. we've empowered them. Now, the other thing to recognize is the better we're able to empower and teach our children, the better we're going to feel as parents allowing them oh, yeah. to try new things. Because you know they'll right? be creative. You know they have you know problem-solving skills. Absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes to brainstorming, the first question we're going to ask is what's the problem or what's bothering you? Hmm. It's that simple. Now, it could be that uh, your child has a breakdown on the way out the door to school because they've forgotten their homework. And so the question is first verbalize to me. What's bothering you or what's the problem? Have them then in their mind think, not a temper tantrum or not, I'm upset, but, oh, the problem is I don't have my homework and it's due today, yeah, right? Yeah. So they verbalize that to you. Once you've asked them that question, assure them that you believe in their ability to figure it out. Yeah, give them the power. I got you. got this. Exactly right. Then you're going to say, how do you think we can fix this problem? Mm. How do you think that can be done? And so now you've put them in a position where they have to be self-reliant. They have to think about What's a solution I can come up with? Now, maybe some of their first solutions are no good, right? And as a right, parent, we right. hear them and we think that is dumb and it's not going to work. We don't have time or it's not going to get you what you need. We obviously don't tell them that. We simply validate those are good answers or that's a good idea. 
Let's keep thinking. There what else could there's be done? There's one. Yeah, don't there's blow one. it up. Don't say, oh, grow up. Right, there's one. Yeah. Let's, let's see if we can come up with two or three more mm-hmm. and then choose the best. Now, imagine what happens if a child is approached by a stranger or, I don't know, little things. Our daughter got her dress caught in a swing at the park. Oh, wow. And we were at the park too, but we were on the other side. Yeah. And so all of a sudden it's, wait a second, what's my problem? My problem is my dress is caught in the swing. Something's going to give here. Right? Yeah. And so we see those as, as silly almost as adults. But those are the problems they deal with that get That's them frustrated. Great, yeah. And so they have to think through, okay, the problem is my dress is stuck. I know I can fix this. What are some options here? What are my options? Yeah, what can I great. do? I can panic. I can right. freak out. Right. I can yell and scream, but they're kind of far away even though I can see it. What, what yeah. are we going to do with this? So teaching them to brainstorm and work through those problems empowers Such them. That's a good idea. Now – We've done two great things here. We've given us power as parents to trust that we can send them off or let them solve problems. And we've given them power inside so that when they do feel trapped on the swing or in whatever yeah. situation, it's, wait a second, I have what it, I can answer this question. I can solve this problem. Think of just the confidence that gives them. But then you're like, right. I mean, a lot of people don't learn brainstorming skills till they're in a corporate training. Right, right. And we have to draw it out and map yeah. it out. And, and your kids can learn it now. And it's that simple. It's really that simple. It comes down to that. And then once they have their different options, they just weigh out, well, what is the best given my situation? This is something that we can teach to children very, very young. Toddlers. You know, our two-year-old, our three-year-olds can look at at a situation and say, okay, how can I solve Mm -hmm. this? So brainstorming is really important. Another one that we don't often think about as parents is we have to give our children challenges. Yeah. Now, we don't wake up as adults, at least I don't, and think sometimes physical challenges, but I don't wake up and think, man, I hope today's just so hard. Oh, I want it hard today. Just, you know, hit me with every possible challenge there is. And our kids don't either. But if we don't put challenges in front of our children, they can't overcome them to know that they have what it takes to overcome challenges in the future. It doesn't life just throw them the challenges. It does. But we as parents, we go intercept it soften it right. so there's no hard edges on this challenge and then we might let them play with it for a minute. Right. And they they don't seek it out or know how to do that. Yeah. I think specifically of a time our son when he was about three, we went on a hike and he was in a stroller but the the terrain got too you know, terrible. And we had to ditch the stroller. You had to jettison the stroller. We did. And he had to walk. And I'll tell you, <laughs> that sweet little guy, his legs, he drug and we came up with games and find five birds and they're uh-huh. just, to the, you know, we did all of yeah. that. And we finally get to the end of this hike and he runs to the end and says, you know, I did it. I did it. And it's great. That's great. So we come home. No big deal. But about a year later, he asked if I'd teach him how to tie his shoes. And so he's four years old and we sit down and the sweet little thing after forever and rabbits and ears and, you know, trees yeah. and in and out, nothing's working. And he Velcro. he hucked that little – that's exactly <laughs> right. He hucked that little shoe across the room and, you know, as parents, we, we go get the shoe and we come back and assure him, let's try again. We yeah. can do this. And he paused for a minute and he looked at me and he said, hey, mom, do you remember that time I was three and I hiked all the way up to that water pipe and it took forever and we didn't have enough food and my legs were tired? If I can get to that water pipe, I can for sure learn to tie my shoes. Oh, that's cool. Now he knows. And now we go again. Now, not even again thinking about it, but a year later, a year and a half maybe, he wanted to ride a bike without training wheels. And after hours, my sweet husband up and down the street with him, he took off his helmet and dropped it on the ground and went, again, this is too hard. 
and again reminded us, but wait, do you remember when I hiked to that Isn't pipe? that amazing? That's stuck in his head. I can do this. Is that how you get 12,000 steps as you <laughs> force your children on the, like on the hikes, baton yeah. death march That's exactly. kind of thing? Every morning. We start right at 6. Interesting. Sunrise. So we have to give them challenges. Yeah. And they have to – you know, that challenge that he had at 3, it got him through – those are monumental. Oh, those are huge. And in, apparently in it made an impression, right? Right. It's stuck in Now, there. we could have easily said, go ahead and quit. This is too mm-hmm. hard. But we knew it wasn't. Yeah. We knew we could get him through it and that he needed that. We did not foresee the impact though. Absolutely yeah. not. Now, that challenge will not get him through no. seventh grade He'll and college the, well, the and marriage, one. right? The next one. So we have to continually give them challenges. It's in those challenges they learn what it takes mentally and physically to overcome them. Yeah. They apply that to each new situation and become very cool. self-reliant. Well, especially at this time of year too, our children will be graduating. Things will be happening. Right. I mean all, they're, they're now starting to conquer all of these challenges. We have about 20 seconds. What's one more thing we all need to remember to empower our children to, to make them more independent? Sure. So let's put two together. The first is we've got to allow our kids to negotiate. Yeah. Let them come to you and say, Mom, my bedtime is too early. This is why. And hear them out. Here's my argument. Let, let, them, let them feel that they know something about themselves right. and accept that and acknowledge it and then find a middle yeah, ground. We shut down negotiation, don't we? We do. They come in and we go, no, no, I don't want to hear it. Bed is eight. Don't talk to me about <laughs> it. The other thing kind of to go along with it is to encourage your children to speak in public. Now, too often we order for them. We say thank you for them. But if we want them to be self-reliant, let them say, I would like, you know, chicken nuggets with French fries. Let them speak up and say those things. When they say, what is your name? Teach them that it's okay yeah. to say this is my name. That's right. And uh, and then even well, how interesting when you get them to then go negotiate their, Absolutely. their meal. Sure. You go get them to take the challenge on of ordering for your brother. I mean that's where you grow it. It is. And these Great all principles. go along with you know all the things we always hear. Like be oh, yeah. sure you're giving them choices. That's right. Be Brush sure their they, teeth. Right. <laughs> Give them choices. It is. It's true. Make all sure they're things. safe. Give Let them, them fail. Yeah. Right. That's right. how we raise James. Yeah. It all works. <laughs> well done. Heather Ann Johnson's her name, professor at BYU. Go to her website, familyvolley.com. Also check out her book, Family Fun Fridays, and her soon-to-be-released books, Family Fun Mondays through Saturdays. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're taking a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to the guys from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. This is uh, BYU Radio. Keep listening. Welcome back, everybody. There's the music. The intensity. Two men. One show. BYU Sports Nation. It's our pleasure to introduce Spencer Linton, Michael Alisa, filling in today for Jerem Jordan. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello. Dr. Matt. Did you like that intro? Was that the Dark Knight? Is that the Dark Knight? Yes, it was. Bing! Okay, no, I have... With my voice being weird That's like why. it is. You sound like the Dark Knight. Okay. Or Bane. I'm, I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Michael, watch out for him. I tried to. I mean, seriously, Michael, of all people that had to sit next to him the day he has that horrible throat infection. I don't have a throat infection. Oh, oh Spencer, don't life. deny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How you feeling? Are you okay? 
I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling better. Where's the concern for my health? I'm it's worried about your no. health. You're good, man. Yeah, just you got you got Michael Lee all freaked out now, Doctor Matt. Just drink, Come just on. drink a lot of um, Listerine, heated up Listerine in a metal Gargle bowl. Listerine. Go, yep. Hey, where's where's Jerem? Jerem decided to take a vacation conveniently when I was oh, sick. Of course. <laughs> Jerem. Come on, brother. Hey, um, I saw something really interesting when you guys walked by today. What well, You walked okay. by my window. Okay. As I'm trapped in this studio for three hours and you guys are just dancing around out there, you were carrying a box of – it looked like donuts. Yep. Yep. And, 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 you, and you walked right by the window. I have one left. Do you want it? Well, I did. You don't want it right now? No, you know what I had? I had I have pizza poisoning. You have pizza poisoning? Yeah. What I overdosed you? on pizza last night. Oh. <laughs> Can you do That's that? Not poisoning, yeah. A- apparently. I, I I don't know why, but it made me really sick and it's not like, you know, it wasn't bad cheese. It's just I'm getting old in my my age. No, I've I haven't had a lot of fat in my diet the last month and I had a lot of fat last night and then guess I'm I, this got me to the story that I've got to tell you about. Have you ever heard of what a fat burg is? A fat burg? Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it's meat between two pizza slices. Mm, no, but that sounds very good. Wow. A fat burg is like an iceberg but instead of made of ice it's made of fat. Okay. I had one of those last night. But check this out. An 11 ton fat burg 11 ton Fatberg okay. was removed from the London sewer recently. Oh. <laughs> a fatberg is what is created when congealed fat, so people just pour their fat down the oh. drain, and then unflushable items, when they combine in the sewer, they create a solid mass. I'm so disgusted right now. <laughs> that was the goal. So we're halfway there. Oh. This is the latest monster. It was 131 feet long. <laughs> it's it, the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> it totally is. By the way, the biggest fat burg of all time, 15 ton, found in London in 2013. What are they doing what is up in with London? Those Brits? I tell you, they fry a lot of stuff. Fish and chips. That's a lot of fish and chips. So don't feel too bad about your pizza. I know. Sickness. I know. Yeah. My my fat burg, tiny. That sounds like a normal weekend to me, what you did last night. <laughs> is that, and I only had three pieces, Michael. <laughs> this is it was really nothing. Michael and Lisa that's my Friday about. night with a Netflix movie. <laughs> uh, oh, don't, that's the perfect date right there. Do you just okay. take, is that how you date, Michael? You just ask, hey, do you want to go watch Netflix? And yeah, let's just eat. I, yeah, I'm, look, I pay $12 a month for my Netflix account, yeah. and then just $5 for, $5 pizza, for pizza from Little Caesars. <laughs> yeah, by the way, that's I keep just, it cheap. That's good. That's where I went yeah. when I got poisoned. But I didn't get, it wasn't food poisoning. It was fat poisoning. You had a fat burg. <laughs> yeah. I had I don't a know fat. You, if you literally had no. a slice of the fat burg, no, my, I would seriously no. you, worry about your sick. health. No, I had more like a fat sickle. <laughs> Surprised you don't sound like Spencer right now. I know. You know why, though, Michael? It's because I'm healthy. <laughs> and I don't have like major throat you know, growth. Yeah. Here's the thing: I can do things with my voice that I can never do because I'm a I'm a naturally a tenor voice. Yeah. And so and so now. Do you want to sing something? I can do like movie trailers. Don't ask him to sing. We one all saw man. that. Bye bye bye. One song man. Did. One mission. <laughs> BYU Sports Nation next. Oh, yeah. See, that's intense, that's hot. That's intense, right? I hope they recorded that. I can do the the Monsters Inc. lady. I'm watching you, Wazowski. <laughs> Always watching. Then you can also do Barb Simpson. Bart. Wait, oh no, Marge. Marge. Marge, Marge Simpson. Simpson. Homie. <laughs> Dude, you're good. 
You I'm you know what, Spence? You got another job. You got skills, Spence. <laughs> He's got some serious skills. Hey, what's going on on your show today? You guys still going to do a show with oh, a voice like that? We're going to do a show with Michael. He's I mean, Michael can handle it. We got Let's some just, stars coming. What's coming? Today. Who's coming? Okay, so we have Ashley Hatch who is uh, just invited to play on Team USA's under-23 no soccer squad. No big deal. Squad. Oh, that's no huge. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's the hatch trick. Yeah. She's awesome. Nationally <laughs> ranked. Okay. And uh, our discussion today, along with Ashley, let's see, who else do we have, Michael? Okay, we've got three guests, but I want, I'm excited about our topic today because it's juicy. We got, juicy. We Monteverde. Yes. Her, her last name and, means Green Mountain, by and the way. And Janae Monteverde, who's a pole vaulter who at the jump highest over, level. Jump over a mountain. Oh, I saw, the, I saw the picture of her. Okay. That's big and league. Then, and then Jalen Reyes of BYU Men's Volleyball, who's mm. also from Hawaii, like Michael Elisa. They're going to have an island throw. Yeah, they're going to they're talk, talk about – you guys can talk about Spencer, and he won't even understand what so you're besides, saying. So besides yeah. the three great guests, we ask the What's question the today. Who will have a better NFL career? Mm. Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. Or Tim Tebow. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yes, that's good. That's good. Tebow's back in the news because he just got signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And the Tebow to Taysom comparisons have been going on for two years now. You bet. So why not have the conversation? I I love it. I think think, uh, Tebow got hired to be the pastor for the Eagles. Isn't he going to be like the the, the chaplain, guy, the, the chaplain that leads the <laughs> that leads the the team in prayer? He might be. He might be. That's I'm fantastic. A special jersey with a little uh, <laughs> little white patch right there on the neck. I mean, if that's what you want to talk about, see, this is the difference between our shows, guys. My show, we talk about fatbergs. Your show, you talk about stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I mean, you know, they're in line. Tomato, but tomato. Then when we go home, we eat fatbergs. You eat fatbergs. So. By the way, I'm going to bring you down a slice of this fatberg I found. Hey, I'll, I would appreciate that. I apologize for not giving you a donut. I'll save you one next. Well, you time. walked right by. Here. I was just I have like one here if you uh, want it right no, now. No, I would, but then I'd have to take steps down there. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> have a good show, guys. <laughs> hey, good Dr. luck, Matt. To you. Always a pleasure. Hey, Michael. Thanks, and stay stay clear of him, buddy. Really, watch out. I'm I'm scooted. Uh, Infectious so far is I'm the word. Need to take some orange juice right after the show. Do for sure, for sure. Yep. I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> Get some pants on, by the way. <laughs> thanks, guys. Take Bye. care. Be good. Wow. That's uh, it's infectious. We talk a lot about uh, infection on the show. I don't know if you guys – I don't know why we do that. We talk a lot about food too. Why is it we always go to food with them? That's crazy. It's, it's the fat idea. It's fat. Hey, it's been a great show. We've had so many different topics. Again, uh, you may not be able to – Spend time listening to all of them, but go back, find them on podcast. Uh, just go look us up, the Matt Townsend Show, and you can podcast them. A great uh, research that came out we talked about in the first hour that to me was fascinating because so much of it was about um, cancer research on melanomas, and there are some cures – and not cures, but there are some procedures now that they can do that uh, have like 60 percent effectiveness in certain types of – of uh, melanomas and cancer. So anyway, fascinating stuff there. We also talked about self-sabotage, but we always like to end the show on a very basic uh, hero story. The hero's named Ashley Gyron, uh, owner of the Oklahoma re- uh, restaurant in Oklahoma. And um, when a restaurant owner in Oklahoma, Ashley Iron, noticed uh, that someone had been searching through their dumpster for food, she decided to leave something for them. She posted a note on the front window that read, To the person going through our trash for their next meal, 
You are a human being and worth more than the mill from a dumpster. Please come in during operating hours for a classic PB&J, fresh veggies, and a cup of water at no charge. No questions asked. Your friend, the owner. So Ashley, instead of just letting people rifle through the garbage, which, you know, some people would just call the cops on, she instead posted a note, hey, come on in. I'll give you a sandwich, make you some fresh fresh veggies, give you some water at no charge, no questions asked. Get in here. Uh, That simple act of kindness, you know, it's what makes the difference in this world. And that is one of the goals of this show is make sure that no matter how down you are, how much time, you know, you're spent doing stuff you don't want to do, no matter how negative life feels for you, life is good. Our goal is to help you find the good in the world. In fact, that's really the goal of BYU Radio in general is to to not just give you the information but to help you find information that uh, that's relevant, that matters to you in your life. And so we wanted to make sure that Ashley, Ashley Gyron, the owner of the Oklahoma restaurant, knows that she's our hero of the day. And folks, you go and do the same. Go find ways to serve each other, to lift each other, and make each other's lives a little bit better, a little bit uh, healthier and a little bit stronger. Again, we can't do the show without you, and we love uh, getting more information um, out to you. So just stand with us. Stick by us. We'll keep continue to produce some uh, really good ideas and tools for you to find the good in the world. Till tomorrow, my friends, uh, we hope to talk again. Take care. This is the Matt Townsend Show, over and out.